Hey, I'm Jeffrey. I'm Craig Killian. And this is the From First to Last podcast. There you From first to last podcast. This is a podcast where my friend Craig and I we get together each week. We talk about a director's filmography from the first film all the way through to their last. And this week, Craig, we are taking a look at Tim Burton's ninth film of his filmography. Ninth. Yeah, it is. Yeah, we're we're getting. We've gone pretty deep already. We were about sixteen episodes. Oh yeah, this so season. yeah, can tell. Yeah, each and film is a pretty big big chunk. Yeah, and we have dabbled also in a couple of his little side. Projects here and there. Which we will. We've had again. a Nightmare Before Christmas episode. Yep. We've had a Superman Lives episode. We've got Wednesday out there now. Oh, I'm actually on air board meeting. Oh, Should yeah. we do a Wednesday episode? Yeah, we need to do a Wednesday At episode. At the end? Yeah. Like, we're going to go try and watch the whole. Um, yeah. We're going to start whole watching season. the season. So we can even do a whole season wrap up if you want. Yes. I reckon if we do one episode wrapping the whole season. Yep. That'd be Booyah. perfect. That'd be great. Oh, there you go, people. You heard it here. It's going to be it. fun at the end. After Dumbo, that'll be. Oh, woo. Um, So, Craig, we are talking Tim Burton. Last week, we had a great chat about Sleepy Hollow. Oh, fantastic. It Loved was it. a lot of fun. Craig actually bought me a little gift this week. <laughs> oh, I can't I believe so you found it. I'm just taking my socks off. Don't that don't stink. <laughs> Thanks, Craig. Uh, he found me the Hessian. Um, I'm very excited for it. Hold I, two I, heads. <laughs> I know. I'm. I'm really. I was like very unsure whether to give it to Jeff because I know you know he's got kids around. Yep. You know, and it's the Hessian holding two heads with no head. In the <laughs> I just found so him in the store, good. man. I was like just walking around in this store. Um, I think it's got Alfie's in Sydney, and I was just having a look. And I'm like, oh, it's the Hessian. They sell all the old school, like old Love school He Man. They sell. Um, do you remember those He-Man type toys that had the hologram in his chest? Yes. Jeff, they sold those. Craig, maybe Old we need G. to throw Joe's that out there Bionicles. on the socials. <gasps> I mean, not Bionicles. There was a, another one's called um, where you could stick things onto their heads. Like they had these like little plugs in the front of them. Yes. I yes. do remember that. Yes, you take they, the face plates off. And yes, yes, oh, yes, Jeff. Great. And they had those and then they had all these. Um, they had every old school What's it called? toy. Alfie's. I think it's Alfie's. Yeah, they've got oh. an online store too. Oh, man. I found it by accident, man. We we'll like, put, yeah! we'll put a picture City. of it up on the socials so people definitely, can see. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Very cool. So we had a great chat. Check it out if you haven't heard it. But this week's a very interesting one, Craig. Yeah, can't wait. Uh, we're talking Planet of the Apes today. <laughs> the 2001 release starring yeah. Marky Mark from the Funky Bunch. Very Funky Bunch at this time. Um. Really interesting. I think at this stage for Marky Mark, he's on quite a trajectory because he's had a bit of success with films like The Italian Job. Yeah. So he's on the way up. We'll talk a bit later. He actually left quite a high-profile project to take this one on. Oh, really? Yeah. And it's it's quite... It's, I think the high-profile project's one that I love, so I'm quite happy he wasn't in the role that he, he oh, left. Oh, good. It was um, Rain of Fire. 
it wasn't rain of fire but oh lord i love that movie um but we we are really keen this for me craig i've talked all season this has been my film i'm so excited to revisit because yeah. i've watched this a lot and you've watched this a lot yeah, yeah, I had this. This was one of those, you know, in the uh, sort of, well, it's 2001, so probably around 2002 was that time where you had films like Gladiator. I was probably watching Gladiator a lot. I was probably watching this one a lot. Uh, were you just like buying Fight the Club. steel books and shit? I was buying the DVDs and just gobbling up all yeah. the supplementary features. This was one Fox Blind did. with the little booklets and shit. Yeah, that's exactly right, Craig. And uh, Fox did a great home um, release of Planet of the Apes. It was two discs, and the discs, the the supplementary materials really were hours of content, including the ape school the actors went to and things like that. So, um, really quite detailed. Because when we, we'll talk about it a bit later, but the actual um, costumes and sets are really very detailed in oh, this incredibly. film. Yeah, it, there's a lot of work that went into this film. So. I absolutely loved it. Was a little bit scared that this may not live up to my memory. Uh, so, but we'll get there a bit later. So, I thought, Craig, we might take a little look. What old Timmy Tim has Tim been Tim? up to after Sleepy Hollow? Not that tiny Tim, horny Tim. What's been happening post Sleepy Hollow? <laughs> and what's crazy, Craig, is Sleepy Hollow is released in November 1999. Yep. Burton has four months between Sleepy Hollow and and his involvement with Planet of the Apes commencing. Oh, wow. So there's not a lot of time for sort of life between there. No. He's he's pretty much going from project straight to project. Uh, what he does do, though, and this is a little sort of side note of what he's up to, is he signs on for the project around February 2000. Uh, in March, he actually goes off and shoots two commercials for Timex, who had a new sort of Matrix-inspired watch. Ooh, And he makes... Two two commercials. <laughs> Craig is absolutely destroying my home as Sorry. we sit there. Take it off my socks. It's just funny. elbowing walls we, and shit. This week we rearranged our lounge room and put something next to the couch. And I thought to myself, do you know what? I think Craig might bump into this at I some point. I will bump into that. And he certainly has already. <laughs> uh, but that's what we love about Too him. Too huge. But so he goes off and does these two commercials, which were very Matrix inspired. Yeah. Now... One of those things, we've had Burton go off and dabble in a few things here and there, whether it's uh, TV. He hasn't really enjoyed that. He's gone off and done some art. He's enjoyed that, yeah. but not really focused too deeply on that. He goes off and shoots two commercials and realises, probably don't like this. <laughs> a few people had said, you'll love it. You literally go in, shoot, get out. And for Burton, the process was just too fast, too quick. Yeah. And he, he doesn't like to go in. No, he doesn't. He wants He's to be involved. And he, that's his gentle. He's an involved lover. He's gentle. He so he didn't really enjoy this. Now, also what happens in 2000 is a, we see a real boom in the dot-com sort yep. of phase was happening in the world. So there was a real boom in dot-coms. And in this, a lot of people turned to websites to, to release forms of their art, whether it's in short films. Yeah. Uh, it could be that people make, you know, animations. Mm -hmm. And this is where Burton does his character, Stainboy, which we talked about in our Sleepy Hollow episode, actually got an animated six-episode run on shockwave.com 
Oh, wow. Yeah, so Shockwave was a form of animation that you, yeah. could, that you could run, and they used that to animate his Stain Boy. So, you remember that? Yeah, I remember Shockwave. Yep. Shockwave has been installed. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> right. And so, that gets released in October 2000. So, I'll try and track some of those down, Craig, and we yeah, might definitely. track those on the socials so definitely. people can see what's going on there. So, Burton's got all that going on while the involvement of Planet of the Apes is happening. Yeah. So... We sort of get to the part of the episode, Craig, now where we talk our cinematic landscape. This really sets us up with a foundation of what's going on in cinema at the time. And I think it's really important for 2001 because this is an absolute bonkers blockbuster year. Yeah. This is a popcorn year. Some really major franchises kick off this year. Um, So it sees the first installments of some of the world's now biggest franchises. We get our first Fast and Furious film. Yep. The first Lord of the Rings film. Yep. And the first Harry Potter film. It's all released in 2001. Now, to put that into perspective, Planet of the Apes actually ends up in the top 10 worldwide films for that year. Oh, that's good. So this is an insanely financially successful film. Yeah. For Burton. And despite the way it sort of we will end up talking about the the film probably Craig because uh, it's not seen as one of his strongest. <laughs> so, but in addition to these massive franchises, the caliber of animated films uh, in the lead up and released in 2001 actually sees the Oscars say, hey, we need to do something about this. These are no longer silly little cartoons. These yeah. are great films. And so... 2001 sees the release of the first ever best animated film that's awarded an Oscar, oh. which is awarded to Shrek. Oh, is it really? Yeah. So there's a little cool piece well, of trivia for game. people. Good on you, Shrek. Is, it wasn't a Disney film that won the first ever animated film Oscar. Now, the Oscar Darling for 2001 is a film we've also spoken about on this podcast before, Craig. With Ron Howard's A Beautiful Mind. Oh. Now, A Beautiful Mind was nominated for eight Oscars, including, and won four, including Best Picture, yep. Best B- Director, yep. Best Adapted Screenplay, and Best Supporting Actress for Jennifer Conley. Oh, wow. Now, we've also t- talked about one other film in two, from 2001. So Me too, Craig. I actually, I saw it pop up on my, uh, on my you once watched list. You watched and, and I was like... I should revisit that again. Man, and I was just watching clips of Jennifer Connelly in Top Gun. Fuck, she's just I too love beautiful. that movie. She's just too beautiful. That woman's just incredibly beautiful. It's going to be in my Christmas stocking, Craig. I'm oh, very yeah. excited. I, I intend it for it to be in mine too. It's sitting. Fantastic. Just, I know it's here floating in the house I just want somewhere. to charge it up and just. Yep. I love it so much. Now, we've also spoken about another film from 2001, Craig, and we had a great chat with our friends Tim and Lee about this one, which is Ooh. Michael Mann's biopic about boxing legend Muhammad Ali. Oh, yes, that's Ali. right. So, Ooh, bye, hey. Yeah, it was a great... So you see already there is some big-name directors releasing films yep. in 2001 and big films being released with big stars. Yeah. This so, is... Um, Will Smith, like we said before, at his peak. Yeah, hundred percent. We're coming. pre-slap. It's yeah, pre-slap. I did see his interview this week, uh, explaining uh, it all. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Actually, it's a, it's a pretty sad. It's it's a hard thing to watch. You see a man who's been very uh, humbled. I think. So, yeah, yeah. So, anyways, we don't need to get into those politics. Let's talk what the top ten films of two thousand and one are. Craig, do it. 
the number one film for 2001, taking just under a billion dollars with $974 million, is Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Watched it the other day. Such we're a going, We're starting the Harry Potter. We're Love Harry it. Potter. Did you watch the extended cut? Yes. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. So show. good, Craig. Actually, it adds a bit to the film as well, it the is. old extended but cut. But it's also very Chris Columbus y. It is. It is very I actually watched Home Alone today. Yeah, well, ironically, we're watching Home Alone in New York, whatever it is. Yeah, I didn't. Can I have a confession to make? Yeah. I do not like the Home oh, Alone films. Seriously, I'm fucking over them, but my, my son loves Kids them. Kids love it, don't That's they? A, Brooke thinks it's a Christmas film, I think, yeah. you know, Die Hard is. Um, and Iron Man 3. Can I ask a question then? <laughs> yeah. So if if Die Hard is a, which Die Hard's a Christmas movie, yep. it's set in Christmas time. You yep. know, Gremlins is too. Yep. Uh, Harry Potter, set at Christmas time. It is. There's a Christmas time in most Harry yes. Potters. Yes, because Harry stays, they open the jumper. So about each year, yeah. Yeah. We actually bought my mum for Christmas last year a knitting pattern book that showed, tells you how to do the H jumpers or things. <laughs> so we're hoping each of us will unwrap a, oh, a, yeah. a jumper this dodgy. year. You're just basically <laughs> giving her if a you're future mom, present to make. Hint, hint. Um, <laughs> just give your present to your dad making an outdoor, uh, outdoor pizza oven. <laughs> yep, that's exactly right. Hey, dad, hey, dad, look at all this timber I bought you. Uh, <laughs> the number two film for 2001, Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. With wow. $883 million. Damn. And number three, Monsters, Inc. with $528 million. Damn, I love Monsters, Inc. Me too. I actually, Monsters University is as good is as the, the funny. first. I can go back to jail. Yeah. <laughs> it's still <laughs> Those one of moments. the funniest. Yep. That, is, that is like, it's, just, it's such a different film from the first one. Yeah. The first one obviously is like, yeah, it's very heartfelt. Like the second one is sort of heartfelt, but the sec the second one is just a comedy, man. It is. It is. It is. All, honestly, a college. It's one it's of the Animal last House done by Pixar. Yeah, exactly. You know? loved it. Absolutely so loved it. At the number four film we have mentioned already, it was Shrek with four hundred eighty seven million dollars. Shrek. Have I ever told you my Shrek story about seeing it early? No. So bizarre. So I, I was living in Sydney at the time and I just happened to turn up at the cinemas and they were asking people if they wanted to come and watch this new animated movie. And they were trying to build, I think they were trying to build hype because yeah. it's the first time that there was something non-Disney Disney. really trying to get in there. And I said, oh, what is it? And they're like, oh, it's this movie. It's sort of like a, a jokey take on uh, fairy tale movies. And I was like, Oh, yeah, I'll give it a go. So, unbeknownst to me, I went and saw Shrek probably a month or two before awesome. it came out. And I was like, then suddenly I saw this poster one day while I was walking around the city and it was the, the famous one of them all sitting down on the grass. And I was like, oh, that's that movie I watched. It was hilarious. And I did exactly what I think they were hoping people would do, which is to spread a little bit of word of mouth on that movie. It's one of the, it was one of the first films that actually pushed for adult humor in there as well very much and so which got out of hand by the third fourth one third, justin timberlake one third yeah and um but first one is still fantastic first is good second is a series of skits third is literally just just i don't know joking about I can't even remember. fourth wasn't too bad but it's a fourth yeah the fourth isn't too bad they have a few uh you find a whole world of ogres that Bullshit. are being threatened. Yeah, yeah seriously, there's a fourth one. John Hamm voices one of the one of the ogres. No, bullshit. Hundred percent. Fourth one. Yeah, what was it Shrek called? Shrek Forever After. Oh, 
Oh, yeah. I've never watched it. So give it a go. It's not too bad. Uh, number five, Craig, Ocean's Eleven. Ocean's fantastic. And that will be discussed a bit later on. Fantastic. Love a good Ocean's. Number six, Pearl Harbor. Never seen it. Don't want to. Number seven, The Mummy Returns. Loved it. Fantastic. Loving Brendan Fraser for comeback. Number Keep eight, comeback. Jurassic Park 3. Which one's that? That's the one with William H. Macy in it. Uh, oh, yeah. It wasn't bad. Yeah, not bad. Joe Johnson directs it. Yeah, it's yeah. It's a bit of fun. And, and they have that fantastic scene where they're, where they're in the um, atrium. Yes, oh, yes, Avery. with the pterodactyls. Yeah, the pterodactyl. And yeah, that's a great one. That's a fantastic yep. directed scene. If you ever go back and watch that again. Joe Johnson's solid, man. Oh, Joe man. Johnson's a fantastic yeah. journeyman, man. If if not, one of my favorite journeymen. Oh, I, he's on the short list. He is, he is on the short definitely. list. Uh, number nine was Planet of the Apes. Ooh. Yeah. And number 10 was Ridley Scott's Hannibal. Man. So, as I you haven't can watched see, that in Huge movies, like huge blockbuster movies in that top 10. Yeah. Now, let me just run through some others that came out that year, Craig. Gore Verbinski releases The Mexican. You know, I have a soft spot it. for that movie. I have a soft spot for that. Fucking movie. hate it. Is uh, that with Brad Pitt and. And Julie Roberts. Okay, I've got to watch it again. Go back and watch I it again, Craig. I hate it. <laughs> um, uh, Australian classic, The Dish, was released. Oh, oh I love it. So great, it. wasn't can't, it? I can't argue with it. Uh, Christopher Nolan's Memento was released. Amazing. Uh, Robert Rodriguez drops Spy Kids. I didn't mind it. Yeah, not didn't bad, not it. bad at all. Johnny Depp is in Blow. One of my favourite, favourite. You do love that movie, oh, man, don't you, seriously, this, that's one of those ones where... Johnny Depp stops being Johnny Depp. Loved it. Totally. Bridget Jones' Diary is released. I enjoyed it, man. I it's can't fun. argue. And I think Renee Zellweger was fantastic in the role. Here's another movie I love, Craig. Heath Ledger in A Knight's Tale. Oh, man, seriously. That's my just guilty pleasure. Isn't it? It's just a fucking guilty pleasure. He just rules the screen. But Paul Bettany's Paul amazing Bettany's in it. Paul Bettany's amazing. Alan Tudyk. The directing is fantastic. Yeah, it's so fun. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> Baz Luhrmann releases Moulin Rouge. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Brooke went to the... Um, the musical. Thing. Yeah, the musical. Thing. Did yeah. she like it? I've heard you it's really Brooke. good. You know, Brooke, she probably is like... Yeah. I didn't realize there were other songs in it. I was like... <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's a musical. Life. Oh, we love you, Brooke. I know, we love you, Brooke. Uh, love you, Hugh Jackman has his breakout role in Swordfish. Oh, wow. Remember? A buried titty. Yeah. He really became big after that movie. Yeah, exactly. We had Lara Croft Tomb Raider. Loved it. Sexy Beast is released. Oh, you know, it's one of my favorites. You do love that movie, One Craig. of my favorites. You fucking can't drop my friend. Fuck you, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> love it, seriously. It's one of the hardest... Hardest hardcore movies. And the fact that it makes Ray Winston look scared yes. it makes it even better. Yes, totally. Ben Kingsley's so good in that. Uh, the first Fast and the Furious film is released. Yep. You know, that's my guilty pleasure, Craig. Uh, Steven Spielberg drops AI, artificial intelligence. Man, I hated it when I first watched it, but I keep watching it. Me too. And I just keep watching And it's one of those films that every time I watch it, it sticks a bit more. Do you know what? And I just like, uh, this movie's just really sticking to me too much. Spielberg doing Kubrick equals Dennis Villeneuve. Yeah. <laughs> that, the fuck? That's brilliant, Jeff. Wow. I literally just had that Man, little Jeff, thought that's there. Fantastic. That's fantastic. That's a t-shirt. That's fucking so amazing. It's, but it's the truth. Isn't it is. It? Well, AI is, is one of the most intelligent. 
intelligent films. It is. And I think it's just, it was far too intelligent for me at the time. So every time I watch it now, I just, I begin to love it more and yeah. more and more. And Haley Joel Osment is, is just so one of the, was good, one of the greatest, um, greatest kid actors, him and Dakota Fanning were yep. the two greatest kid actors I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, totally. They're ever. so good. I actually just watched uh, the Entourage and I love his movie. Little fatness now. Well, he was in the Entourage now? movie. Yeah, he plays so Entourage. I Tusk. I haven't seen Tusk. <laughs> Don't. Um, I've heard it's like it's fucked up. Yeah, I've Don't. heard it is. I heard it's what happens when Kevin Smith takes too many drugs. Oh, uh, but it's just what happens when Kevin Smith does Kevin Smith. Entourage. He plays uh, the studio head's son who starts getting involved in a film project when he doesn't have any power, but they're too scared to knock him back. <laughs> and he's just this redneck sort of thinks he's amazing. Uh, also released. Here's a few cats and dogs. Legally blonde. Man, that's a huge cult. Still never seen it. The score, the amazing Edward Norton and Marlon Brando oh, heist film. yes. So that great. That was good, man. Uh, the Princess Diaries. We have <laughs> Rush Hour 2. Time. Never watched American Pie 2. Zoolander's released. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Training Day's released and Denzel wins I was watching, Best Actor. I was watching Training Day today. So crazy. I was watching where they put him in the bathtub and they're oh, about to shoot yeah, him. Oh, yeah. Yowza. That is crazy. And he's just like. Well, you'll see poor me. And then I looked up Cliff Curtis, the guy who plays the... Yeah, yeah. he's a New Zealander. He's an incredible actor. He's an amazing character yeah. actor, man. He Can't is. wait till he pops up in one of these films. And I'm fucking I have a feeling Cliff Curtis popped up in one... Re- what did I watch recently? And he popped up with a whole heap of Maori people and it was like one of their first films. Darn, I'm going to have to go back man, and watch he, what I've watched recently. Seriously, he's been amazing. Yeah, he is. He's Amazing. Um, He's he's really great in so many things. Mm. It's like uh, Cliff Curtis, isn't it? Yeah, Cliff Curtis. Yeah, yeah. yeah I know because so I I just know because I looked it up today. He's I looked it up today. Seriously, such a solid actor. When hey, he just he calls up his cousin and goes, "You know, you're been ditching school. You know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fucking, yeah. But there's just like, trippy homie. Sunshine. He's great in sunshine. Sunshine. He's just great in everything. He's great in paramedic. Yes. Um, he's great in fucking, obviously, you know, Uncle Bully. Yes. Just yes, It's yes, just yes. that weird guy that, oh. in the end, he is a more respected actor than Temamura Morrison for coming oh, out. Oh, he's I'm like, he obviously he's doesn't fountain. have the impact of Temamura Morrison because, well, he's now Boba Fett. Yep. But without Boba Fett, Chris Cliff Curtis is just... He was also in Blow this year. Yep. So listen yeah, to what he he's in. Pablo Escobar. In 2001, he's in The Majestic with Jim Carrey. He's in Training Day. He's in Blow as Pablo Escobar. He was in The Insider in 1999. Yep. We've talked about The Insider. Oh, there he is. That's the film I love him in. He's in Three Kings in 1999. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, man, he's good Did in I, that. They, they asked him a question how he feels about being being all ethnic man oh really <laughs> he goes I just love the characters he goes I understand that's the reality of Hollywood um, Sad, but hey I'm getting jobs oh, and he gets and a lot of jobs he does a great job in them as well doesn't yeah, he yeah exactly he's so good oh listen he's been in so much I'm looking at Columbiana oh man seriously what's one of his first films there's one before Once We're Warriors first films oh, he's Whale Boy he was so in Whale Rider Whale Rider that, yeah that's Tiger? He was he was in oh no that's boy the Hercules the legendary oh, journey with um 
Republican. He was in the piano. Kevin Sorbet. That's the. That's it. That that's was his big one. hit. The piano. Yep. So him and supposedly Maori Harvey Keitel with his he, cock out. Oh, and, and young Anna Paquin. And uh, yes, Yelza. But he's been in so much great stuff. Sunshine. I love that movie so much. I need to revisit it, Craig. Uh, also release, Craig. I'm going to pump through a few here. Pump, pump. Mulholland Drive, From Hell, Donnie <sighs> Darko, Emily. Spy Game, Behind Enemy Lines. Oh, fuck, I love Spy Game. That's one of my favourite films. Me too. The Royal Tenenbaums. Nah, never seen. Vanilla fuck, Sky. We've talked about A Beautiful Mind, The Majestic, Ali, Black Hawk Down, and I Am Sam, all in 2001. I was reading something the other day, Black Hawk Down, that they actually show that to training people. I've heard it's like, yeah. Seals, yeah, they sell it to Seals for training. Ridley Scott. Absolutely. Obviously, they wouldn't show Eric Banner's accent to fucking actors. But they, well, I don't think Eric Banner would want to show his accent to. <laughs> but Ridley Scott's got Black Hawk Down and Hannibal released that year as well. Oh fuck! I totally forgot about that. Crazy, right? Well, Hannibal was boring as shit, so he didn't have to do much there. Have you revisited it? Uh, I do and I don't because see, I I love. I, I always Hannibal Lecter like I read all the books and Hannibal Lecter as a character and as a villain always fucking just fascinates me so I always get involved in that the TV series and everything like yeah. that yeah the TV series is like absolutely cracking yeah, Mads Mikkelsen was like he was talking about it the other day yeah got cast. another amazing another amazing actor like Cliff Curtis yes better than Cliff Curtis yep and he's just yeah he's a he's a chameleon the old Mads Mikkelsen isn't man he? just yeah doesn't give a fuck. Where's his next villain role? I just watched him in How oh, to Train Jones. Oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. What a trailer Ooh, too, Craig. But it's weird. The Dial of Destiny. Oh, I can't wait to find out. I feel like it's going to be like a little compass sort of thing. Compass. <laughs> Please Please just a telephone at old school. Time Rotating travel. phone and people would just be like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> you know, kids would just be like, what's that? It's a phone, man. It's a rotary. I, I honestly... I had no doubts as James Van Gold as the director for that film would do a good job. Man, the de-aging looks amazing oh, too. Oh, doesn't it? That means we doesn't can get it. several more years of fucking Indiana Jones. That's right. Except if he runs like De Niro walks in the Irishman. I know. <laughs> Isn't that fucking horrible? Uh, we love you, Johnny. We know <sighs> you love the Irishman too. Fuck, no. Hey, Craig, that was 2000. I love the Irishman. Just, it's just not right. Uh, it's a great It's too film. uncanny valley. The acting obviously is on point. It sure is. Joe Pesci's amazing in that film. Uh, that's 2001 in a nutshell, Craig. An absolutely bonkers year of film. Yep. Massive films across the board. Like most years, something like, say, Illegally Blonde or, uh, you know, things like Ali, Spy Game, you know, Bridget Jones' Diary would all probably be in that top 10 at some at some point yeah so it's just an absolutely massive year so you could imagine the fact that planet of the apes comes into that top 10 worldwide that speaks volume impressive man yeah of probably the legacy this franchise has going into it i don't know how much of it is the fact that tim burton's directing i think marketing is amazing yeah from memory i remember watching the trailer and watching um caesar jump yeah. Like the last scene was Caesar jump and jump towards the camera yep. and growl. And I remember going, that looks fucking epic. Yeah. Me and John watched it like several times. It was amazing. <laughs> so that's 2001 in a nutshell, Craig. Now, for those at home who may never have seen Planet of the Apes. Yeah. May not have watched it in a little while. 
which I'm assuming probably that would, might have been the case for you and I. Incredible. I hadn't watched it since the movies. Or has never seen this film. Let's just take a little moment, Craig, and let's just hear about it. A remake of the sci-fi classic, this reboot follows an Air Force astronaut from the year 2029 who crash lands on a mysterious planet where evolved talking apes have enslaved a race of primitive humans. Tim Burton brings his unique vision to the franchise. Let's talk about Planet of the Apes. So good, Craig. Now, I thought you can't really talk about Planet of the Apes. Yeah. Without having a little bit of a dive into its past. You have to nod it to its history. That's exactly right. So I thought before we kick into the journey of journey to screen for Tim Burton's mm-hmm. iteration. Yes. Let's take a little dive into Planet of the Apes. And it's going to be a little bit of a deep dive, but... You know you want to hear it. You do know you want to hear it because okay, I can you tell you. Because gonna... seriously, the more I hear about this, the more, and Jeff's going to love this, the more I need to watch the new series. You definitely do, Craig, because it's incredible. I'm actually really excited. Just f- James Fuckhead is in the first oh, one. Just get past it. He's not in any others? No. Nah. Oh, good. See, I hated him before he became a predator. So the, the three new ones... Uh, um, what's his name? Rupert Sanders directed. <laughs> <laughs> Yowza. Uh, Rupert Sanders directs the first one. He, he he's an amazing act- director. Yeah. So he came off uh, Snow White and the Huntsman. Yeah. Did this one, and then Matt Reeves does the second two, and oh. the scale goes through the roof. Matt, obviously, uh, Matt. and are just incredible. We love so, you, Matt. Uh, All right, cool. So we're going to take a little deep dive. And what we're actually about to dive into is what is one of the most popular franchises in film. Yeah. It's seen as a cultural touchstone for science fiction films. Yeah. And science fiction in general. Uh, and it has so many could have beens, Craig, <sighs> that it's bonkers. Some of these, just as a little tease, involve Sam Raimi. Others involved Arnold Schwarzenegger. Man, that's fucked up. Others involved James Cameron. That makes total sense. And others. Now he's just painted in blue. Involved Peter Jackson. So we're about yeah, to you dive can see on in. Just like fucking these nerds of this generation just loved the old school Planet of the Apes. Yep. And makes sense. Uh, have you ever watched all the old Planet of the Apes? I Apes only Craig? watched the Charlton Heston one. So the the. They actually, they're so dark. Like, they get darker as they go along. There's one where, like, they have a the last ape baby and it gets thrown off a bridge. There's all sorts of really hardcore up. things that go on in these movies. So um, I've, I've watched them all. Probably I probably only watched them once and it was it was only a couple of years ago I went through and watched all the old ones. How for the many first are there time. the old ones? Five old in the old series. What's bonkers is, and we'll get there soon, is they actually take place five films in about seven years they get released. So they're really churned around. Oh, okay, cool. So, so Charlton's only in one? I think Charlton Heston's in the first and then Roddy and McDowell really becomes the the face of the series as okay, they cool, go cool, on. Cool. Uh, so Planet of the Apes, as we've just little briefly touched over, is that um, Planet of the Apes has a rich history. And I really had no idea, Craig, that this history started all the way back in 1960s Paris. Now, I'm not sure if you knew this, but French author Pierre Boulet 
had written a number of novels. Now, one of those is a semi-autobiographical account of his time in World War II. Uh, when I tell you the English translation of that novel, you'll be really quite surprised that he, this was his novel. So the novel was titled Le Pont de la Rivière Quai, or in English, Down the, river Quai. the Bridge Over the, the River Quai. Quai. It was released in 1952, mm. and the, Alec and the novel became a multi-million copy worldwide bestseller. And in 1957, as you uh alluded to there, Craig, saw a film adaptation released which won seven Oscars, including Best Adapted Screenplay. Yeah, I've watched that a couple of times. I remember it considered a classic mm. war film. Now, really interesting fact. I'm throwing the cool trivia out I love this trivia, man. Crack, decided, crack it on. Discovered. Now, the Oscar was actually awarded for Best Adapted Screenplay to Belay. Despite him not writing any of the screenplay, and actually not even being able to speak English. Awesome, that's even better. So, Boulay had been credited as a screenwriter of the film after the actual screenwriters, Carl Foreman and Michael Wilson, had been blacklisted from Hollywood after they were communists. seen as communist sympathisers. Carth, I mean, you so, destroyed so much shit. Uh, Boulay is now an Oscar-winning screenwriter. Fantastic. Okay. Fantastic. Hey, man, fucking Eminem's an Oscar-winning songwriter. That's true. He does write a good tune every day. Oh, he does, yes. Uh, so, Boulay goes on to continue writing novels after his Academy Award winning, <laughs> uh, Academy Award win, and in 1963 releases a novel called La Planète des Sings. Uh, now, I'm not a French-speaking person, so excuse me, but translated in English, it's called Monkey Planet. Monkey Planet. <laughs> the novel was critically acclaimed and praised for its suspense and satirical intelligence. Yep. The rights to the novel were actually purchased by a producer named Arthur P. Jacobs. Now, he in the 60s had a really good run. Um, and we'll talk about what his first film was that really got him started. But what he ends up being a producer for is Dr. Doolittle. Oh, yes, yes. yes. What was the name of the actor in that one? Ooh. You know, you know what I'm trying to yep, say. Yeah, I definitely do because yeah, I can see good. his face because we've actually got a copy of it. Yeah, here. exactly. That's um, what I was asking you. Cause goodbye, Mister Chips, and he produces all five Isn't of the Planet of the Apes films. Yeah, I think so. Okay, so he just likes monkeys. So before the novel, so he actually bought, buys the rights to this uh, novel before it's even been released. Oh wow! So the the little side note here is that um, Arthur P. Jacobs, his first film was called What a Way to Go. Now he had secured funding from Fox to make the film because he'd managed to have Marilyn Monroe agree to star in the film. Oh god! Yeah. Right? So obviously Fox are like oh, the new Marilyn Monroe yeah, picture. Of nice. course we'll fund that. This is actually the film that she died before it went into production. Oh, no. So her, da her death forces Jacobs to then go and recast the role. The, re the role was recast with Shirley MacLaine. Oh, okay. And What a Way to Go was actually a huge hit in 1964 and gained Jacobs a lot of pull at Fox. Wow, so was it renamed or was that was no, the name called of it? What a Way to Go? Okay. Uh, at the same time, Jacobs was pitching uh, his science fiction novel that he'd acquired about a planet of evolved monkeys to studios. Um, now, all the. Um, Oh, sorry, that's Boulay is pitching the idea of the novel, yep. not Jacobs. So pitching the idea, all the major studios turned down that. They're just like, nah, not really interested at yep. all. Sounds a bit weird. 
planets of monkeys. Monkeys. So uh, Jacobs hears about it, the producer, and purchases the rights immediately. So he then catches up with now legendary producer Richard D. Zanuck, who greenlights the film immediately. Planet of the Apes is released then in 1968 and was an Academy Award-winning film that launches a five-film franchise that runs from 68 through to 73. So that's actually five years for five films, Craig. Far out. It gained a 1974 TV series, which ran for 14 episodes, and a 1975 animated series called Return to the Planet of the Apes. That'd be interesting. So the film itself really sort of reinvents... uh, science fiction at the time yeah which was very much at the time uh strange concepts around you know you get your forbidden planets yeah. and and things like that that are like these journey odd, to the center of the earth yeah those sort of big concepts contained on earth yeah and i guess alien cultures were more weird spacemen yeah not the idea that there could almost be an alternate version of earth somewhere out there so it was really quite groundbreaking when this film comes out uh obviously charlton heston was massive in it as well so there's and the twist yeah that's right and the twist with the damn you all to hell (laughs) you know which so many people have have mimicked troy mcclough yes very much and the simpsons do a great Great parody of it greatest musical ever i will go to that fucking tomorrow man (laughs) (laughs) can i play the piano anymore (laughs) of course you can well i got it before (laughs) (laughs) so good so good everybody wants to go now just google so craig if you thought this was an interesting journey so far we're just getting started, my friend. Oh, no. So, <laughs> it was Earth all along. Uh, so, with the 70s incarnations now a decade old, 20th Century Fox, uh, as president, meets with writer-director Adam Rifkin. Now, Rifkin had just finished his debut film, which he wrote and directed, called Never on Tuesday. Oh. The film has a cast, which included Nicolas Cage. Shit. Peter Berg. Shit. Carrie Ilwes, <gasps> Emilio Estevez, the girl. Judd Nelson, and Charlie Sheen. What a fucking cocaine-fueled never on Tuesday. That's exactly right. Because they get right. their coke on Mondays. Well, <laughs> it's actually funny. So the story is about a group of friends, uh, three friends, uh, two guys and a girl who have their car break down in the desert. Now, looking back at it, it's probably a concept of for a film that, doesn't age well. Yeah. Oh Some God. of those 80s films, you know, they, they do this. They don't age well. They need to sleep around to get the car. <laughs> but the concept is that the three, fr- three friends are two guys and a girl. The girl is named Tuesday. Ah. Okay. She's ambitious, intelligent, attractive, and she's also a lesbian. So while broken down, the two guys try their best to have her fall in love with them <laughs> in order to turn her back to men. It's like chasing Amy. Despite Exactly. Exactly. Despite them knowing she's not attracted to men or interested in any way in having them in her future aspirations. Yeah. Uh, the independent film was actually made on a shoestring budget and basically shot using the short ends. Now... I don't know if you've heard short ends described in filmmaking no. a lot. Uh, they're 
often young filmmakers like, say, Sam Raimi, uh, all those guys that sort of in the 70s, 60s, 70s, 80s, really trying to to forge their way into film, they use short ends to make their film. And basically what that is, is all the leftover uh, analog film that was being used to shoot film back Mm -hmm. in the day got snipped off that wasn't required and stored in big canisters called short ends. Ah. And and students could go to studios or companies like Kodak and yep. purchase the short ends at a smaller price yep. that then they could tape together to make their own rolls of film. Oh, that's cool. And film films. So that's what Rifkin does. He uses them and creates his own film that later gets released on uh, VHS. Cool. So using his experience as an independent filmmaker, Rifkin is invited from the Fox president to a 1988 pitch meeting where he throws the idea of a sequel to Planet of the Apes out there. Basically, he uses Aliens as an example and Rifkin explains that he could write and direct a massive scale film at a budget price. That's somewhat contained, like yeah. Aliens is. Uh, Fox loved this idea. Obviously, they own the rights to Aliens, yeah. so therefore they're like, oh, we've seen it done. And Rifkin is actually hired to write a sequel to the 1968 Planet of the Apes. Now, the fact that it's a sequel is really odd because yeah. there's already been a sequel to the 1968. There's five. So basically what they want him to do is say the 1968 film has happened, we want you to create an alternate timeline of films that branch off from there. Oh, okay. And basically disregards the other four that were released. And so... Like Superman. Yep, pretty much. Mm -hmm. So he basically uh, begins writing that and it's titled Return to the Planet of the Apes. Rifkin took inspiration from films such as Spartacus and he wrote a sword and sandals epic where he explains the ape empire had reached its Roman era. Ooh. A descendant descendant of Charlton Heston's character named Duke would eventually lead a human slave revolt against the oppressive Romanesque apes, led by a general Ezan. A real sword and sandal spectacular monkey style. Gladiator did the same movie without apes in the costumes. (laughs) (laughs) Or ape costumes, sorry. So the film moves forward at a rapid pace. Fox are really keen to get this going. Rick Baker's hired to do work on the prosthetics. Yeah. Danny Elfman's hired to score the film. <laughs> God. And it came down to either Tom Cruise or Charlie Sheen in the lead role. Shit. Right? Now, sadly for Rifkin, around this time, there was a change of regime at Fox just weeks before pre-production yeah. starts. And... This led to some creative differences between Fox and Rifkin. So Rifkin then is asked to, and he takes part in writing a number of rewrites. Especially if it's Tom Cruise. That's exactly right. And the project then becomes abandoned by Fox. So a few years later, the project then finds it a little bit of life again when a relatively unknown New Zealand director and his production partner pitches an idea to Fox. Peter Jackson and Fran Walsh had just completed Meet the Feebles and Brain Dead. <laughs> Meet the Feebles. And had gained a little bit of traction. Mm-hmm. And so they begin pitching an idea to Fox. That idea is that the the apes had reached the Renaissance period. Yeah. 
So in their iteration, the ape government had become concerned that the wave of art would lead to a major revolution. It would also lead to a half-ape, half-human that would add to the revolution. Ooh. Right? They had pitched the idea to Roddy McDowell before even saying it, taking it to studios, who was excited by the idea of him playing a Da Vinci-style ape that would have inventions oh, around it? this time. Yeah. Now, unfortunately for Fox, the executive that Jackson happened to speak to that day didn't like the series. Oh. They didn't even give Jackson the chance to explain that Roddy McDowell was potentially involved in the project, which would have been a ma- major coup for the, yeah. the the project, and the project was knocked back. Now, for cinema, not a terrible thing. No. Because Jackson then goes on and focuses on a long gestating passion project of his named Heavenly Creatures. Great film. So, without being knocked back, he probably would have been sidetracked and not gone down the road that leads to Lord of the Rings Lord involvement the and things like that. So we now reach, Craig, 1993. And Fox are once again making plans for another foray into Planet of the Apes. So they reach out to two directors to potentially steer the ship on this project. Yeah. Oliver Stone. Wow. And our season three director, Sam Raimi. Damn. So in, that's weird. In that, Fox signs Oliver Stone on as an executive producer. Mm-hmm. And co-writer for the new version of the film. Oh, God. Stone was approached at the end of 1993 and asked what his version of Planet of the Apes would would focus on. And he explained that his version has the discovery of cryogenically frozen Vedic apes. What apes? So, Vedic is a bron... Is an age that happened between the Bronze Age and early Iron Age. Okay, cool. So they're cryogenically frozen from that time. Ah, okay. Apes uh, who hold the secret numeric codes to the Bible that foretold the end of civilization. I'm so confused. I know. So it's uh, Oliver Stone. Oliver Stone. Frozen apes. There's a code in the Bible that apes know how to solve that'll stop the end of civilization. Yep. Uh, it deals with past versus future. This is Stone explaining. My concept is that there's a code inscribed in the Bible that predicts all historical events. The apes were at the beginning and figured it all out. Oh. Okay. So that was his thing. So Stone then brings on Australian screenwriter Terry Hayes to co-write with him. Tezel. Now, you may not know his name, but you'll definitely know some projects that, oh, good, that Hayes good. has I love this on. stuff. Hayes has previously written Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior. Ooh, good stuff. Mad Max Beyond the Thunderdome. Fantastic. Dead Calm. <gasps> Scary shit. Cliffhanger. Oh! Right? He then goes on later in his career to write Payback, Vertical Fantastic. Limit, From yep. Hell. Oh, Just wow. So name. he had a good year. Yeah, he, so he had a good year this year. So their screenplay was called Return of the Apes. It was set in the near future where a plague had made humans extinct. A geneticist named Will Robinson uncovers that the plague is a genetic time bomb that was embedded in the Stone Age. Ah. Right? Robinson then time travels to to an age where there is a war being fought between Paleolithic humans and highly evolved apes. 
Okay. Right? <laughs> he is also accompanied by a pregnant colleague. And while this war is unfolding, they discover a young human girl that they consider the next step in human evolution. Oh, cool, cool, cool. During all this, they also discover that the apes created the plague and they stop its release, thus protecting the future of the human race. Isn't that sort of like the next planet of apes? Somewhat. Okay. Somewhat, cool. Craig. Cool. It's like they're fucking mashing everything. There's there's lots of... Oh, well, they'd have some of them that they still own. They'd own the rights to yeah. it, and so they'd yeah. be able to poach little pieces here and there. And probably good filmmakers look through all the previous versions yeah, of what people okay. have done. I like that idea. So Fox loves the script. So much so, then-President Peter Sharon called it one of the best scripts he'd ever read. And Fox were prepared to launch a franchise that included sequels, a spin-off TV series, and a stack of merchandise. Damn. They are really on board for yeah. this. So in March 1994, Arnold Schwarzenegger is hired for the role of Will Robinson. <laughs> right? And in his contract, he's given final approval for approval for the director that they hire for the project oh wow so schwarzenegger's got fair whack of the, the yeah. power so Which he always has very much so and you got to remember around this time schwarzenegger mid 90s it's schwarzenegger yeah he is he still pretty much has it now he does he's got some pull you know just obviously not a gigantic pull but he's still man schwarzenegger still puts bombs in seeds he does mm. he does so in january 1995 Another Aussie is hired for the project. Yay! Because we know apes. Philip Noyce is brought on oh, as director. Nice. He is now, nice. if you've not know that name, some of his films that he had worked on at this point, Patriot Games. <laughs> He'd go on to direct Rabbit Proof Fence, which Fantastic is an amazing movie. Australian film, and The Bone Collector. I didn't mind The Bone Collector. So yeah, he does some other great films. The Saint, I think he did. Salt. Uh, oh, yeah, he did too, yeah, because his... He's done a he's he's actually really great at those sort of spy thrillers. Yeah. So it would have been really interesting to see what he did with it. So he was hired as director and the film's given a hundred million dollar budget. Man, seriously. He would noisy would have done noise on like yeah, he, he would, would have, have done, done really, really well. Stan Winston is also hired for the prosthetic effects. Stan. And they were super close to commencing pre production. And this is where things start to go a little bit pear shaped. Fox executives started requesting changes be made in Terry Hayes' script. This is where they foxed it. This is the big time around Fox <laughs> being foxed, man. Yeah, yeah, this is where the word came from. So they felt that Hayes' vision was beginning to deviate from the vision that Oliver Stone had originally pitched. One sticking point came from Fox executive Dylan Sellers. Now, Sellers... Fuck you, Dylan. <laughs> I don't know Sell what you've done, Oh, you're going to feel you. it. You're going to feel it, Craig. So, Sellers really felt that the film would be enhanced thanks to some comedic elements. It was a little bit serious for Sellers. <sighs> God. In particular, he loved the idea of Will Robinson seeing apes in human situations, but specific elements were missing, and therefore the situations weren't quite working. I now, bet you he's the son of someone. If he, I reckon he's the son of Peter fucking Sellers. I <laughs> know oh, I'm serious because they're all fucking. They're at this time they were all just the sons of someone else and shit like that. And yeah. with silly ideas that they wanted to make their mark with. Dylan Sellers, there you are. Look, now you, you look like a cock. One such, <laughs> actually, when you read up the uh, information, Sellers was not a great human and is later sacked. Uh, so, in particular, he loved the idea of. Robinson 
coming across a bunch of apes trying to play baseball. (laughs) The problem was, Craig, that these apes, they didn't have a picture. Oh, my God. So it wasn't quite working. So you pretty much just have an apes beat the shit out of each other. So just, just picture this, Craig. Arnold Schwarzenegger comes across a whole heap of apes trying to play baseball. Yep. He then wanders over. And shows them how they're missing and they need a picture. This is how you do it. That's right. You stupid ape. Grab the fucking bat. Suddenly, there would be a moment where together they all start playing a glorious game of baseball. And it turns into Field of Dreams. Producer Don Murphy, who was a producer at the time on the project, was asked about these changes and he explains, Terry Hayes wrote a Terminator. Fox one of the Flintstones. Freaking oath. And this is where a real creative difference and golf is, is it sounds in like the project. It. Now, Fox executive Dylan Sellers refuses to give up the idea of the baseball scene. And when Terry Hayes turns in a new version of his script, the baseball scene was not present. Hayes was then fired from the project. The, this sets off a chain of events as well. Noyce yeah, was so fucking, mad. Just get giant spiders playing fucking, <laughs> <laughs> yep. playing Indeed, fucking baseball. Indeed. So Noyce is so mad by this decision that he also quits the projects, the project and goes off and makes The Saint instead. I love The Saint, man. And Oliver Stone leaves the project and pursues other films as well. This is where Fox then starts flexing their, their muscles a little bit more. And actually starts removing producers that had previously worked on the project, such as Don Murphy from the project. So they start removing the people who are attached to this old version. Or in a way of the the comedic. That's right. So with the heart of Hayes' vision of the project gone, Fox brings in a new director. And that was Chris Columbus. Oh, my God. So it's like Nutty Professor meets. Well, Chris Columbus would be huge at this time. Well, Chris Columbus. Oh, just before, sorry. Getting around the time where we're we're actually ninety two's Home Alone, isn't it? Yeah, around about. So yeah, yeah we're talking we're we're into the mid nineties now. So, so I'm surprised Macaulay yeah. Culkin isn't. One oh of the gosh. <laughs> so um, yeah, Fox brings in Columbus and they hire a new writer who we've talked about quite a lot on this uh, season, Craig. Mm. Sam Ham. Oh, Sam. So Sam's huge at this time, Sam man. Sam Ham has worked on uh, Tim Burton's eighty nine Batman. He's yep. uh, written for Batman Returns around this time and he'd also turned in a Fantastic Four script which hadn't been made at this time. It's funny, you can just see him, everyone, all of um, Burton's friends just joining a party Yeah, and no one's just said, well, what about Tim? Yeah. Who fucks Tim? <laughs> oh, totally, Craig. So, Ham's aim, uh, Ham's aim there's <laughs> a tongue twister, awesome. was to make a film that was like inspired by the five previous films but sort of half inspired by the novel as well. Uh, these statements are in a stark contrast, though, to reports from Fox at the same time doing visual effects testing of apes skiing. Fucking what? And playing baseball. Why? Why is this baseball <laughs> thing so fucking strong, man? So Ham's script focuses on an ape astronaut from another planet that crash lands in New York Harbour. 
Its arrival brings a virus that begins wiping out humans. Two human scientists then jump into the ape's spaceship and returns to its planet of origin in the hope of finding an antidote. Okay, well. Not bad. No, not bad. bad. Um, yeah, that's They right. battle Lord Zaius and find an antidote. Oh, he's now a lord. Yes, he's now a lord. Well, you know, doctors usually go into politics. Well, yeah. he's got all the power. So they find an antidote and return it to Earth. Upon their arrival, they discover that 74 years have passed and apes have actually taken over Earth, with the big reveal being that the Statue of Liberty has been changed to the face of an ape. Ah, and that was Sam Ham's version. Not a bad actual idea there. It's, yeah, it's yeah, a cool yeah, that's twist cool. on it. So at this point, Schwarzenegger's still attached to the project. Schwarzenegger, man, I can't, I can't believe he he doesn't want to kick out the fucking baseball scene. But look, let's be honest, Schwarzenegger's a cheesy fucking actor. Well, it's, when he goes comedy, he goes cheese. It's funny you say and that because so, he's concerned about the evolution of the project, Craig. And in late 1995. Chris Columbus leaves the project to focus on a Christmas romp called Jingle, Jingle All, All the, the Way. Oh, my Lord. Which stars Arnie. So they're pretty much just talking to each other. They're, they're, they're budgeting their meetings yep. to Fox about Planet of the Apes, but they're actually just doing Jingle Working All the Way. Working on Jingle All the Way. Makes sense. And so we get to the early, uh, early 1996, where Fox begins shopping the project out to directors. <laughs> Would you be interested? Would you be interested? So they offer the director's seat to Roland Emmerich. Oh, wow. Now, Emmerich is about to explode. Yeah. Because in 1996, Independence Day is released. Fantastic. I love it. So Day. with this decision, it makes a lot of sense because you'd be it like, sounds fan- it from sounds the like director of Independence Day comes a new Planet of the Apes. Now, Emmerich doesn't commit to the project. And upon that, Fox then offers it to another director who is working in their house at the time. Midway through filming a tiny little film called Titanic, they offer the project to James Cameron. Now, Cameron actually gets as far as developing an outline, but drops out once Titanic is released and is such a huge financial success. Mm. So we're talking, there's there's a good couple months that he's involved in this project. Now, a cool little side note I found out is with James Cameron on board. And this is the level James Cameron works on, right? Yeah. So he's like working on Titanic, which you and I had the the privilege a few years ago watching James Cameron talk about his underwater yeah, uh, yeah, sub, man. submarine sort of work. And he mentioned in there that he ran out of budget on Titanic and then sold the idea of a documentary around a submarine actually going to Titanic as a way to get an additional stack of money from Fox. And he also got to pilot a submarine yeah, down exactly. to the Titanic. <laughs> so <laughs> he's, awesome. he's, he's really switched on. Impressive dude. He was, he was. So with Cameron on board, he also links in with Fox's video game division and begins developing a Planet of the Apes video game that would use his version of the film as the plot for the video oh, game. I love this, man. So, so That's why I can't wait for whatever um, the new Avatar is going to release. Oh, was it? I was hearing some good early buzz too. They've already signed with McFarlane Toys. Built, built Have they? Oh, they're everywhere, man. You go to the um, toy section and they're like McFarlane, um, obviously they do Spawn. Yeah. Um, he creates... Highly bodies. detailed. Yeah, highly detailed. They're like the new um, Marvel Legends stories, which are from Hasbro. But um, yeah, and so he's got all of them out. 
Oh, of, of everybody. I can't wait. At the time of recording, Craig and I just booked our tickets for Avatar. Right. We're Next going. Uh, very excited. So when Cameron leaves the project, the video game division then reworks the game to be based upon Boulay's novel. And yep. it was actually released in 2001 awesome. to mainly negative reviews. Sadly. Now, around this time is when Fox discovered that a young Peter Jackson had previously reached out to them about the project. <laughs> right? Jackson was very excited, but with Schwarzenegger and Cameron serving as producers on the project at this stage, yeah. Jackson is very concerned that his vision would have to be compromised for the vision of both Schwarzenegger and Cameron. It's so funny that him and James are just like fucking bum buddies now over <laughs> in New Zealand. They are. They're really they're close. Fu- they're very close, man. They're yeah. fucking very close. But he did mention at that same uh, chat that we did yeah, that they, they owned a farm, farm together, together and yeah. they're neighbours. So, uh, yeah, very interesting. And all of Avatar's production moved to Wellington so he could use... Uh, build his own uh, digital Uh, so as a result Jackson turns down the opportunity to make the film now he then moves to development of the Lord of the Rings and this is when Lord of the Rings starts to stall now if people aren't aware there was actually a stage where the project was moving forward and it was uh, a part of Miramax which is owned by the Weinstein Corporation now Harvey Weinstein started asking for certain compromises to be made in the film and different parts of Jackson's vision to be brought in a different direction that he wanted and as a result baseball (laughs) and Arnold Schwarzenegger as a hobbit Uh, so the Weinsteins then basically slow the project to a point where Weinstein demanded that he had to make some changes or he would sack Jackson and hire Quentin Tarantino to direct the project was the threat made. Tarantino would never have directed it. Now, hearing these... No, Tarantino would not. Tarantino Uh, always was talking about one scene the other day. I was watching one of those things. Yeah. And he just goes, I I had a different relationship with one scene because I think I just stood up to him. It makes sense. And ever since I stood up to him, he he just gave me what I want. He'd just say, look, it's art. If you keep that scene in... It's R-rated and your profits drop or you take it out and our profits can go higher. And Tarantino goes, keep it in. (laughs) 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 And he used to just fight him all the time. But he was a mentor to him. It's it's really interesting. Yeah, he talks about how how he's had to deal with his version of Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. As well as the actual man who was a fucking villain. You, you would assume he was aware of things he, going he's, on. He talks about that. He goes, everyone was aware. Yeah. If no one wasn't aware, he goes, they had their head in, they're they lying. Yeah. Like everyone knew that, you know, Christ, like Brad Pitt threatened to knock him out. Yes. So. Very sad. So Fox. Good old vagina testicles. <laughs> Fox. I want to see those testicles, man. I do not, Craig. Hang on, why don't you just like, because like. There's like whole trials based around it. But Craig, just watch. Uh, what's the gold member or spy who shagged me with Austin Powers? Uh, I reckon when... they re-release it and just show how pathetic the man is. Oh, it'll come out one day. Yeah, that'll be I'll, released, and I'll be clicking on that link. <laughs> so, hearing that the the Lord of the Rings is uh, potentially on the back burner, yeah. Fox then reach out again to Peter Jackson and offer him Planet of the Apes. Now, I would hazard a guess, Craig. It's highly likely that in this moment, 
there's a bit of games going on and Peter Jackson's oh, like, yeah. well, fine, if you're not going to let me, I'll go to Fox and make this Planet of the Apes movie. And probably Weinstein is like, oh, man, I don't want that oh, to I happen. Hate Fox. So Jackson remains committed to Lord of the Rings and again turns down Planet of the Apes. Oh. Now, at this point, we reach 1998. And Schwarzenegger leaves the project to go make Eraser. Oh, finally, fuck off, Arnie. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly I love right. you, mate, but come on, you hung on to this a little too long. That's <laughs> so true. Especially during your jingle all the way eraser phase, man. Yep. This is your bad time. Yeah, indeed, Craig. So Fox offered the project to a number of big-name directors. In particular, they offer it to Steven Spielberg, who turns wow. it down because he's in the middle of simultaneously prepping AI and Minority Report. That's right, he was too. I remember that because, well, obviously Kubrick just yep. passed. And he also offers it to Michael Bay, who turns it down as well. Yeah, that'd be weird. Now There would have been just like a weird close-up of a monkey's ass. <laughs> a, a sexy female monkey. Sexy me female monkey. No, what it would have been is that Estella Warren ends up having some scene where she oh, look, is... There was a lot of tit out of a cellar wire in there where you're just like, that's that's got to fall out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's got to be some cut that's falling out. Yeah, we gotta we got to get the, the costume. Can we have costume, please? Costume, please, costume. A bit more, bit more <laughs> gum in there. <laughs> Where's that double-sided tape? Uh, so Michael Bay turns it down and they turn to the Hughes brothers who were interested the in the project. Now... They were really interested but were currently committed to their adaptation of Alan Moore's graphic novel, From Hell. Ah, yes. The Hughes brothers also go on and make Book of Eli. Yeah, I love the Book of Eli, So do I. And that aesthetic. the stain? (laughs) The stain? The Book of Eli I found. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) I found a stain on a step. Everyone that looked exactly like the poster of Book of Eli. And I, <laughs> I forgot all about that, that Craig. I sent it to you. I'm like, Jeff. And I even cut out the Book of Eli poster, which was just a silhouette of him. And I fucking put it next <laughs> to the stain. This is how much of a nerd we were. Next to the stain. And I sent it to you. See, if that was today, that would be fucking viral. <laughs> that would have been. You were ahead of your I time, I wonder where Craig. that stain is now. But that was yeah. a good stain. I think it got demolished. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So this home. is where we finally reach the film's journey to screen. Cool. I feel like, Craig, this might be a bit of a longer episode today, so I hope people enjoy it. Yeah, it's all good. Now, we reach 1999, where Fox again start reaching out to writers in an attempt to get a new take on the story. One of those writers was William Broyles Jr. Now, for our regular listeners, they'll probably recognise that name because we've actually spoken about three of his films previously that he's written. He'd written Apollo 13. Yep. I got that 4K today. You did. I did. Ron Howard season. Uh, Castaway for Robert Zemeckis. And The Polar Express. Oh, wow. Yeah, so he's written those three films we've discussed so far. Now, Broyles Jr. would also go on to write Entrapment, Jarhead, and Flags of Our Fathers, just to name a few Jarhead. I haven't watched it in a long time. Man, it was just... I heard there's a sequel. But it's meant to be. Like, it's meant to be, you know, like, boring. And yeah, it's meant, it's to, meant to show highlight. the boredom of it. Yeah. yeah, I just was like, yeah, I went in there with the wrong frame of mind. I should watch it again. I, I like Jake too. Gyllenhaal as an actor. Me too. I think it might be a Sam Mendes project as well. Oh shit! Yeah, yeah. fuck yeah, I need to go back to it. Uh, so when um, Broyles Junior is approached, he initially turns down the idea to be a part of the project. He then finds out that Fox were offering whoever the successful writer was 
uh, what he called an extensive amount of creative control. Oh, which really? Which is finally. virtually unheard of for a so writer. So Dylan's pissed off, has he? I have a feeling. Now, I I don't know if I made a note of it, but yeah, uh, Dylan actually was embroiled in a a big scandal. Uh, I believe, from memory, it might have been a drink driving and ended up with a colleague being killed. um, And so he is removed from the project. I I think he might have done some jail time as well. Don't quote me on that one, Craig, but it was a pretty horrible uh, thing that played out. Now, when... He then decides with with this extensive amount of creative control, maybe this project's actually a little bit interesting for yeah. me. So he offers Fox a different take on the film. It wasn't to remake the film, but basically reimagine it. So it was tentatively titled The Visitor, and it would serve as the first chapter of what would be known as the Chronicles of Ashlar. Now, Ashlar mm-hmm. was the name for the planet that they, they land on. So the studio loved it and schedules the film immediately for a July 2001 release. Man, they are keen. Super keen. And this release date actually becomes a really big problem for this film. Mm. So the script then finds its way in early 2000 to Tim Burton who he'd just come off the back of Sleepy Hollow, and he was a massive fan of the original film. As you would be. You would imagine it. He loved the fact that the new take was a reimagining because he particularly loves the fact that it's a chance to set up his own world but without the pressure of it being compared to the other planet of the apes. So to go from the get-go, this is a reimagining. It's a whole different kettle of fish, not remaking or being a sequel held to the first film. So he's hired in February 2000. As we mentioned earlier in the episode, that's only four months after the release of Sleepy Hollow. So you can imagine he's probably got a good month of press around the film and really doesn't get much time to to breathe in it. So with Burton on board, he teams up with Brawls Jr. to rewrite the script. And they're finished when their finished script is handled in, it's projected with a budget at $200 $200 million. Wow. You can imagine that's quite a big scale. Some for gold him. monkeys, man. <laughs> so you can imagine Fox were not too pleased with that figure and they asked it to be halved to about $100 million. Yep. Now, the answer to this dilemma was to have Fox bring in two writers. Uh, you know, Burton and Broyles Jr. try to, but they ultimately go, this is still not getting to our place where we're happy with it we want to bring on two new writers to have a little crack their name was Lawrence uh, Connor and Mark Rosenthal they come on for some rewrites now what is crazy Craig that this is two months before filming is set to begin they're bringing in new writers to work on uh, rewrites so suddenly the project is on the back foot massively and um Broyles Jr. actually gives a lot of praise to Connor and Rosenthal. He credits them at at being really successful at being able to navigate uh, Broyles Jr.'s vision and Burton's vision and make a link between the two. So probably reading between the lines there, there's a bit of attention on what Burton's hoping the film would be and what Broyles Jr., who has a lot of creative control in his contract, is hoping will be. And also the fact that, you know, I guess with every writer, every director, whenever there's a rewrite, there's just tension. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just fucking, it'd be, just be hard. You know, just someone looking oh. at your work going, look, we need to chop that out. 
Like that's my favorite yeah. scene. What's that's the, right. It's, what's the old term? It's called kill your darlings. Yeah, you or yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Kill your darlings. Love it, Craig. So, in these rewrites, one ending has. Leo Davidson crashing at Yankee Stadium to find apes playing baseball. <laughs> fuck off, fuck off, fuck off, fuck <laughs> off. Man, seriously, fuck off with the baseball shit, man. <laughs> Love it. You've so already much. destroyed most of your friggin' because it's the shittiest friggin', you know. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so ultimately they come up with a number of different endings and it's left to the filmmakers to choose which they they like. <laughs> now, it's interesting because we will talk about the ending of this film a bit later on. Yeah, definitely. And it's quite divisive. It and it's actually highlight, highlighted frequently as one of the things most moviegoers disliked about the movie yep. is the way the ending played out. Uh, for Burton, this begins a really challenging production one that he actually uh, doesn't enjoy at all. So while these changes are happening so late in pre-production, Burton requests the studios to just push back their release date to give him more time. But the studio refused to budge. July 2001 was their release date and they were not going to compromise on that at all. So Burton is basically told, you just got to make this work. Yep. So with an extremely tight schedule ahead for a large-scale f- film and you could argue this is probably the biggest scale that we've seen in a Burton film this would so have far. to be uh, there's 10 months until release and shooting is another two months away so to give an idea on how tight things were Craig rewrites were still being made while sets were being constructed for this man, film man that's fucked up so you can imagine for Burton as a filmmaker there this would be is destructive it's it, like what I heard Peter Jackson with The Hobbit. Yeah. Like shit was Indeed. getting written. As they were making As it. they were ma- on the day some days. Yeah. Ridiculous. And as we've found, Burton thrives with being able to love what he's doing. Yep. And spend time growing it. Yep. You know, that's why you get this lived in feel, feel in all his films, don't you, Craig? Yeah, exactly. You we, get the heart in all these films. And we have to also explain, you know, if this is your first episode or maybe you've just forgotten in our little journey through tim burton yeah is he has reached a point where tim burton what tim burton wants tim burton gets yeah exactly. he's, well, he's proven himself that's exactly right and so batman returns was one of those films where he's like i'm not compromising on my vision and it was a success and each film after that he has had that vision yep uncompromised so now he's being asked to really compromise massively during this time they begin casting the film Craig and a number of major actors were approached for the lead role this includes DiCaprio yep Ben Affleck yep and Matt Damon Damon now the problem was is that all these major actors wanted to see a script before they signed on but Burton and co couldn't produce this because the script was still being rewritten for the studio So they meet with Mark Wahlberg, who agrees to sign on to the project within five minutes of meeting Tim Burton. Oh, cool. He was so keen to work on this project, he actually pulls out of the role of Linus in Ocean's Eleven. Oh, wow. Who's Linus? Linus is played by Matt Damon. Matt Damon. So it becomes a major role in all these films. good. And I'm so glad Matt Damon has that role because oh, his chemistry awesome. with George Clooney yeah, exactly. and Brad Pitt is just so great. Uh, they go on to hire Helena Bonham Carter, Paul Giamatti, Tim Roth, 
Michael Clark Duncan and a whole stack of actors in ape roles. And you also have Estella Warren, as we mentioned, Chris Christopherson's in there. We end up with cameos as well from Charlton Heston. Yes. Uh, we end up Roddy McDowell's in there as well. Who's Roddy? I think he is the um, the old dad of Helena Bottom Carter. Is he? I think so. No, he's another actor. I fucking, is he? Yeah, I know that actor. I just know his face. <laughs> I know it's a monkey face. But yeah, keep going. You, if you're wrong, you're wrong. If I I'm could wrong, very well also. be wrong. With with all the ape-related uh, actors uh, employed yep. and hired, they start attending a month-and-a-half-long ape school where all of the actors are taught I how to it. be their prospective yep. uh, form of ape. And so uh, it's really cool. I'll see if I can find the behind-the-scenes uh, footage that was on those supplementary features for the DVD release because they're so great, Craig, seeing all these guys involved. Now, one really interesting thing I found out in my research is while all these rewrites are going on, Burton is battling with the studio massively about the role of Ari. Now, Ari is played by Helena Bottom Carter. It's so weird. Like, they, 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 they want, they're struggling to get people to make the film, and then when they make the film, they don't want them to fucking make the film. It's weird, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's David Warner, the guy is who um, plays the senator. Oh, okay. Yeah, you, you'd know him if you saw him. But yeah, I'm just trying to look now. Oh, Deep Roy. Oh, yeah, Deep Roy's in there. He's, yeah. he's had a few little roles. Actually, I saw him the other day. Tim Burton's um, then partner, Lisa Marie, is also in the film. Uh, is she just a tall... She is. Uh, early in the film, Helena Bonham Carter is with another um, female ape in the markets. Oh, wow. Rick Baker's in it too. Is he really? Yeah, he plays oh. old ape man. <laughs> and Jesse Tipton plays ape soccer kid. Ape soccer <laughs> The one who wants to throw shit at Classic. the... Classic. He throws shit at the um, humans and gets yeah, cranked he, up. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny, that moment. Um, so... Fox and Burton start butting heads about the role of Ari. Now, initially, she was written as an ape princess. Ah. So her dad wasn't going to be a senator. She, he Very was going similar. to be the king. You might and as well be the same. There's no difference in that. Burton's plan was to have her become a love interest with Leo Davidson. Yeah. Now, we do get at the end of the film that somewhat odd kiss between her and Mark Wahlberg. I think you see it through the whole film. There's undertones, like, isn't there? Oh, not even there's there's nothing undertony about it, man. They're pretty straight in their face. Which then makes the kiss that Mark Wahlberg has with Estella Warren afterward really odd. Oh, it's just like the weirdest threesome ever lived. <laughs> it sure is. So you can imagine the idea of a human and an ape having a romantic relationship in the movie. Yeah, they did in the Charlton Heston one. Uh, Fox were very concerned by this and don't want Burton to go down this path. So he pretty much goes down that path. He goes down that path. That's yes. a path. That's a pretty clear path, man. <laughs> like their faces are almost an inch away from each other the whole entire fucking film. Well, I think Bonham Carter does such a great job. And if you just have seen Fuck Me Eyes, they're, they're it. You know She's, what I mean? She just looks at him like And you yeah. got to remember, that's her coming off the back of Fight Club. Wow. Where at that time, she's a, she's a bit of a, mm. a, a vixen in yeah. the Hollywood world. And so, in her culture, that would be bestiality. 
<laughs> That's true yeah, with the human. So, yeah, exactly. Thanks, Craig. Thank um, <laughs> so filming commences November 2000 all the way through to April 2001. It's a massive a shoot. shoot. A man. massive shoot. Again, context here is filming ends three months before release. Oh, fucking hell. Could you imagine, Craig? It I can imagine why he's fucking... He's so, he's so great, poor freaking... Yep. But. The film is released in July 27, 2001 and is a huge financial success. So much so, it dethrones Phantom Menace as the best opening of any 20th century Fox wow. film. Wow. Wow. And is Burton's biggest opening weekend of his career so far. Oh, my Lord. Yep. Oh, my Lord. Critically, it receives mostly negative reviews. Yep. In particular, they focus on the ending of the film, as we talk about, which we'll talk about the ending in a moment. Um in short, basically, the reviews came out saying that it's a fantastic-looking film, mm. which it is. Yeah. There is some incredible like makeup um, in this film yeah. uh, with a poor script. And the film goes on to take $363 million on a $100 million budget. It was tapped to get a sequel. Ooh. And in the press following the release of the film, Burton was asked if he would be returning for the sequel, to which he said, I would rather die. Awesome. So as you can imagine, his so experiences were no. so poor that he refuses Does to... Does he do any Fox films after this, you know? Uh, ooh, I'll have to have a look into that, Craig. Fuck Probably you, Dylan. not. Probably not. No I think Dylan. there's a lot of Warner Brothers and then Disney after that. Yeah. So no uh, blame Dylan. So the the his experiences were so poor he refuses to return to the sequel and the sequel is cancelled. The flow on effect was Burton says no, then Wahlberg, Bonham Carter, Tim Roth all say no and yeah. they they basically fizzle Bonham, out for Is Bonham with Burton at this time? They actually become friendly on set. Friendly. And start their relationship in two thousand and one. So, which is really interesting. Dance for him, and that's where he got the yeah, idea. A hundred percent. Fuck yeah! I, I reckon he's just a weird sexual. That was such a Burton moment, wasn't but it? Where they so run many through un, unhinged Burton moments in here <laughs> that you you almost like. Oh, maybe you needed another post-it note on that one, mate. <laughs> the dance scene of the the lady. Half naked, the lady ape half naked dancing, dancing. for the old orangutan. Old, old orangutan dude. Yeah, that's <laughs> disturbing as fuck. <laughs> so it's strangely funny. arousing. So that's the film's journey to screen. It is an epic journey just to get a Planet of the Apes film. Man, that, that's the most epic journey we've had in a long fucking time. I know, man. Craig. It certainly is. So I'd love to know here, Craig. What do you expect going into this film and how long it had been since Man, I was this is one of the films I was incredibly pumped for. Like I said, John and I watched the trailer so many times. And then we went to the movies and I was incredibly disappointed. Yep. Um Can you remember what you were disappointed about? Yeah, yeah, just fucking most of it. Just yeah, okay. most of it. I just expected something different. Yeah, interesting. Um and like there were just I think some of the bits that I was um I think the weirdness sometimes threw me off. Yeah. Um, and then, obviously, the ending. The ending, I didn't really care. I don't mind wacky endings, you know? Yeah. That's fucking, I don't mind ambiguous the, endings. Yeah, it either. doesn't destroy the whole film. Yeah. Um, 
And yeah, and that's what I was expecting. So when I was got the idea to watch this, when we were going to watch this again, I was freaking pretty hesitant. Pretty yeah. damn hesitant. Yeah. That's that's it. That's fair, Craig. Uh, for me, this is a film that I loved in yep. those days. Uh, I was 19 when this film came out. So um, I remember how much I just loved. I really did this. Lord of the Rings, those supplementary materials were just so extensive that you could just watch so much stuff and see costume designers explaining their process and things like that, which you never got really uh, before. Uh, so I, it had been probably 15 years since I'd watched this movie. Wow. Uh, I was very excited to get there. I was so hopeful that this would still be a movie that I was like, I love this movie. It's mm. so much fun. Um, and I was also very hesitant because a lot of our friends in the film community that we talk about this stuff to, uh, we'd talk about, you know, what ones are you guys excited for? They would ask and I'd say, I'm really excited for Planet of the Apes and you'd get this, oh boy, you get sort the- of response. <laughs> yeah. And so it made me a little concerned that my hopes for the film were probably tainted by nostalgia. Yeah. And so... But nothing I'd- wrong with that. Most of our fucking ideas are. Yeah, that's that's true. So Star I was Wars just, isn't perfect. Well, I was concerned, Craig, that I'd get to watching this and be like, oh, man. You know, and just be really bummed by yeah. the, the experience. So um, that's probably where I was at. And after coming off the back of Sleepy Hollow, I was so pumped to see where Burton could take this. Yeah, I was so pumped in his in his directing style to see yeah. it. Like, I was like, wow. I can't wait to see, like, I think I, I missed that with the um, first viewing of Planet of the Apes. Yeah. And so I came in really looking for that style. Well, you know, he's matured and he's settled a lot. So Sleepy Hollow showed that he could be dark. There could be some humor, <laughs> but it wouldn't be stupidly far-fetched. Yeah. And I think that's what I was hoping would continue here. Yeah. I knew that we were going to get incredible costumes and from the moment that you have the opening titles... The only which, title where it goes the whole Batman... The old, yeah. The whole Batman 3 almost. Um, and then it goes over the top. Yeah, and it's... Incredible, isn't it's it? It's fantastic. It is fantastic. <laughs> Just that those opening credits, if you were to sell a movie, people would be like, I need to watch this. Oh, fucking no. That, I remember watching it. Just going, this is... Oh my god, this looks amazing! The breastplate with the the golden monkeys the two fighting monkeys, yeah. Oh man, so so good! And then it pans out to be the eyes of the of General. Um, starts with T. Is it Thane or Thane? Yeah. So uh, my memory's terrible tonight. <laughs> oh, that's all good. Um, so yeah, it's really fascinating. Well, let's just get to it, Craig. What what do we end up getting? Like. You know, we've talked about what we expected. Let's get into the film itself. All right, cool, 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 cool. Okay, so... Well, how do you feel about it, Craig? I, I would need to know, and then we'll talk <sighs> the film itself. Um, this is a really hard one for me because there are some moments in this film that are just like, yeah, that doesn't work. Yeah. That does not fucking work in the slightest. Um, You know, that dancing monkey scene. <laughs> well, look, that's... To me, that dancing monkey scene is very similar to fucking... Um, monkeys playing baseball yep um it has that amount of oh i don't care yeah um it's so brief as well uh, yeah it's brief but it it's distracting mm-hmm. you know what i mean like you could tell that's almost like 
trying to add levity in there. Yes. Um, where it didn't need to be. Yeah. Like you know that they could have revved up the revved up the suspense more of them trying to escape the city. Yeah. Um, the weakest, and and I and I realized after watching it the second time what I didn't like about the first time. Yep. The weakest part of this film is the humans. Craig, I'm so glad you went there because I have the exact same. And I have down. to say, watching this a second time, Tim Roth's villain is oh. one of the is seriously is one of the most impressive villains ever. Like, He's I, so and great. I know that's a fucking big, big nah, call, guys. Agreed. But it's you need to watch this again, and you need to watch how fucking terrifying. You this would not know is. that that's Tim Roth in there. But it's also, it's huge. Rick Rick Baker? Yeah. Man, the expressions on all the apes' faces throughout yeah. this whole film is amazing. The makeup is amazing. It's, These days, that would just be dots on their faces. Yep. Yep. But Tim Roth's expressions throughout this yes. is amazing. And to have such an expressive actor like Paul Giamatti actually... <sighs> Come through his makeup, like because that's Paul Giamatti. He he's that face. You know what yep. I mean? If you were to make him a monkey, that'd be his exact monkey. Yeah. You know, oh, sorry, ape. I don't want to. Yeah, get offended. yeah. But um, <laughs> he the, would get offended. The one makeup I did not like was Helen Bottom Carter's. Yes, I think the lower agreed. part of her face was too restrictive. Yes. Um, and needed to be more, and you'd be. It needed to be opened up more for emotional because emotion because she actually it actually stunted some of her voice as well. Yeah, it sounded like she was wearing a mouth guard. Yeah, exactly. Which obviously must have some version of it. Yeah. But in the end, though, the humans in this are fucking annoying. They're oh. stupid. And look, I love Mark Wahlberg. I think he's a talented actor. But he's only growing into a talented oh, actor. Oh, hasn't he? He started off. This isn't this isn't Mark Wahlberg. This is Marky Mark yep. in this. He is such a fucking douchey quarterback in this film. Yes. And I don't like him as the character. The character of him is very, you know, obviously, yes, he wants to go back on his ship. But he's very, and I know he has, he's meant to have that human arrogance, which is meant to be reflected in the, uh, um, in the apes as well, yeah. You know, it's he's very, him and Thane are very similar characters. Yes, um, you're just seeing it from whatever perspective. You know, I'm pretty sure if apes are watching it, they'd go, "Fuck yeah, Thane's kicking up." Hundred <laughs> percent. And, and and obviously, you actually do see that side of Thane when he's with Charlton Heston, yeah, you know, his dad, and you hear about how toxic the humans are. But back to Marky Mark, Marky Mark, man, he's horrible in this. And Estelle Warren, she is a horrible actress to begin with. Okay, beautiful ex model, ex friggin' um, like synchronized swimmer. Synchronized swimmer, yep. Um, Tragic but, story. Oh, really? Yeah, really sad. Oh, really? Didn't know. Fell heavily into addiction, has like just been arrested a number of times. Oh, no. Um, uh, one of the things is like basically, yeah, uh, basically defaulted on paying six months worth of rent and when they opened the house it was like a hoarder's house and 
Oh, no. Yeah, so I saw she was doing Billy Zane movies and I thought, okay, she's dropped anyway. <laughs> but, yeah, it's a, she's had a really rough oh, trial. Poor darling. So, That's yeah, horrible. I agree, Craig. She's not great in this. But she fucking... Her and Marky Mark just look horrible together. Yep. Um, but also, they, both of them don't try to act in this film. Well, see, I think Marky Mark... Mark Wahlberg is trying to act in this oh, yeah, film. Good point. But... He actually just doesn't just enough. doesn't have a, enough skill at this point, and he's got a good look. Put him in there now. Yeah, you know Agreed. now he'd be amazing. Yeah, have you seen Infinity with him? No, it's but good. Yeah, it's I, I, I want to see. It. Yeah, it's Paramount but Plus. Yeah, he just doesn't like. He really doesn't have the chops for this film at the time. No, and it's so sad because it's really odd, Craig. It's almost like. I was watching this and I thought the exact same thing. I'm like, do you know what? Burton doesn't get humans. Yeah. He gets the apes. And he gets outcasts. Yes, and outcasts. But what doesn't work here is even the young sidekick that just magically like gets involved. That's something you meant to give a shit? Yeah, it's like all those moments. There those, are some bad scenes. Those like bad human scripts. moments. Like he, he rides out and then the horse falls on his leg. Yeah, and then Marky Mark's got to run out, but he's running really slow. Yeah, and exactly. And then suddenly the monkeys are like, oh, fuck, we're going to catch up to him. Slow down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I have to agree. If this film, and I really wonder, Craig, if those moments would not occur if we had more time. I think from what you've told me, it explains a lot. Yes. It agreed. explains a lot. Um, I don't think um, Burton had the opportunity to expand it no. um, into his world enough. Yeah. So you see that, you can see there are some scenes where Burton's been able to, to tease the world. Yeah. You know, like when you first come into, let's call it Ape City. I don't know what it's called. Yeah. Um, you know, when they start talking about um, Sion, you know, or whatever his name oh, is. Oh, Seamos. Seamos and uh, the town of, you know, what is it, Camila or something like that. And um, and so you just basically, you see, you see he's able to tease that world. Yeah. But he's never actually able to dive into it too much. Like after those teasers... Everything else in between those teasers are just very strict sets. Yes. So if you think about it, there's like um, a kitchen set, there's a table set, and then they run it through rooms, then they run through a cave, and then they run, then they're in a side of ship. You know what I mean? You have some out exteriors, obviously, at the, yep. you know, and obviously there's obviously green screen, you know, and stuff like that. Yeah. But you can see that. His hands are tied a fair chunk through yes. this film, which I was I was hoping he'd, you know, you watch the trailers, you watch the posters, you think, man, this is almost like a Lord of the Rings with apes. Yes, <laughs> yeah. you know, especially when you see An their epic. especially when you see their costumes. Yeah. Well, the apes' costumes. Yes. Seriously, everything else was fucking too Burton, like you just said earlier. Humans are just an afterthought in this. Yeah. I almost didn't want to see the fucking humans. You know what I mean? Like everything else about the um, ape colony was just, oh, this is fantastic. Like look how each one's done. You look at the, what's the history behind them all? You know what I mean? What's the history behind um, her butler and a friggin' general of the other 
on the other, you know, against Michael Clark yeah, Duncan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? That um, is a fascinating... Shang Tsung against yeah, yeah. Um, Michael Clark Duncan. And you know what I mean? And you just go, oh, you know, there's so many teasers in this yep. that it just feels like he just didn't get to flesh out the film enough. He didn't. And it's, it's really fascinating because there are so many elements of this film that Burton gives us that are actually like... They're almost like beautiful precursors to what we get in the new trilogy. Yeah. So it's proof that, you know, I could see someone watching this and going, I don't care about the humans. Yeah. Let's make it about the monkeys. And then this whole new franchise is born. And it really is like even you said it, their costumes. Yeah. You know, like I kept looking at Mark Wahlberg's costume, which is his space suit. And he has one crash landing, pajama. and it's like a torn pajama top. You see all this, the suits of the humans? They're these just weird, these little weird shells. Yeah. <laughs> and then these almost stage play rags. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, they're meant to be rags of slaves, but there's no dirt on them. They're, you know, they're ultimately clean. They're just normal clothes that are fucking production assistant is shredded. <laughs> It's it and is. then just having Chris Christopherson like he's just like a wasted character. Well, he's like just some weird silent person. And how fucking weird's this? Is they run past the army to escape? Yes, they run past the armies in the square. Obviously, it's not a really big city. I don't know no. where they're keeping all the monkeys, but the um, yeah, they're all in there. Scooby Doo like behind them, the humans are escaping. And my clock Duncan's just coming out all cranky and shit and goes, where the fuck? What the fuck? <laughs> that's the fucking right there. <laughs> They're right there. He runs through past his arm. Guys, guys, they're right there. So and it's funny, the stupidest fucking thing you'll ever see. And it's those things that just... And I think that's the problem with some of the issues with it is... Yeah. You get into this fantastic sci-fi film and you get whacked out of it. Yeah. You know, you don't get little lumps where you go... Oh, you know, I don't even see that. You get bang. Yeah. You're out of the film. And then you get back into them. Bang. You're out of the film again. Yeah, you know yeah, what I yeah. mean? And yeah, you're yeah. just like, this is just really distracting. Yeah. So you don't actually get, you don't it's get messy. into the flow of it. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. is messy. It is very messy, man. And it's really, it is really disappointing because I think the moments of good Burton that we get in there, they are so solid. Like Paul Giamatti. Like Paul Giamatti He's is amazing. an absolute revelation in horrible. this movie. It's horrible. Like seriously, if you like look back, this guy is like a child slave trader. Yeah. And he's probably killed heaps of slaves. Yes, he's a despicable. Heaps of slaves, yeah. But, yep. you know, he just, at the end, he's like the happy guy selling yep. aspirants to kids. Oh. What do you suddenly know what a fucking aspirin that, is? I had the same thought. Well, you know like, what a how does he know is? what an aspirin yeah, is? Yeah, exactly. He just needed to be killed. But, but uh, I love Paul Giamatti, you know, so he'd never do. Any other actor in that role, though, those would comedic lines yep. would have been so cheesy and off-putting. But thank goodness Paul Giamatti's doing it because... And thank goodness he's, you're able to see Paul Giamatti. Definitely. He's so expressive in it, isn't oh, he? Amazing. So, but uh, this is the thing that's just fascinating about it is because Helena Bonham Carter's character is probably the most human of the apes. Yeah, definitely. And she is not cared for in the manner that. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, like, exactly. It's, like, it's, it's just, it's bizarre, which is so frustrating to me because, Craig, I really, for the most part, enjoyed this movie. Yeah, you can see what they're going for. You see they're going for that pre-Roman era. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, 
with Thane's suit, which is ornate, you yes. know, and 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 obviously, and his helmet and everything like that, yep. which you know, are representative of those types of those types of times. And so you can see, yeah, and and the opulence of it, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Has this almost Babylonian feel Very and look to the whole thing. Um, and so you can see they're going for that. And so you want to see more of this society. Yes. But you don't. You no. just see the insides of rooms. And, uh, and I know budget conflicts, constricts that. Yep. Um, but time. Time. Time and money. Yeah, it's exactly. The time and money, man. You couldn't you couldn't go out. You couldn't do reshoots on this film. You can tell there's no reshoots probably done on this film entirely. Yeah, you know what I mean. But man, if you, I'm just blown away by the acting of the monkeys. Very much so. Like just Tim Roth. And I just want to keep going back. To yes, this. Tim Roth is so fucking menacing. Yeah, and I'm sorry to swear. Well, I swear all the time, but he's just so menacing. Like the way, like those those crazy chimps you do see. Yeah, um, and the ones that you're like, is he about to bite my face? Yeah, he's about to fucking bite my face. And and this is this is him. And you know the way he he's just like an ape. He's touchy. He's very touchy feel. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And he takes his, you know, rubs his hand, but you, you almost think he's about to grab someone by the throat and kill him. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's so weird. It's uh, so I love, hardcore. Uh, in my research, it I found that Roth actually was the one who the character wasn't as menacing. <sighs> he was just a villain. And upon reading the script, he said to Burton, I love it, but I want him to be darker and more menacing. Incredibly. And and so then they went on to make it more and more and Roth would get the character to a point where he was like, This is where I want him. His eyes, um, his facial his movements. Yeah. You know, just like, you know, and it, yes, sometimes you say it's weird as he jumps on a horse, you know, with the, but that you know, that's what a that's what a monkey would do. They're small people. Yeah. Um, but man, everything he does is just terrifying. But yeah. I love, but you know, the the way the monkeys even interact with each other is interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the, sorry, the apes interact. You know, the way he interacts with uh, Michael Clark Duncan. Yep. You know, it's amazing when he talks about, you know, you're my only friend apart from my dad. Yep. You know, I've just lost my dad. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? And stuff like that. Or, uh, you know, you were always like this when we were kids. You always saw him as pets and, you know, always had a human around. But, you know, he, I, ironically, in his, He's so detailed villain. Yes. He's more human than the humans. It's funny, isn't it? You know what I mean? He comes across if he was a human villain, he'd be he'd be raised up. Like if he was a human in a normal villain film, he'd be raised up as a character who's just ironically, he's very much like came out this year like Ben Kingsley and Sexy Beast. Yes. He's just that moment where you're just like, is he joking or is he about to kill me? Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's that's what's so impressive. And that's one thing I mustn't have grabbed from the first time watching this. And I just every time he was on screen, I was just amazed. Yeah. Amazed. Agreed. Agreed. It's, it's, it's. And a bad motherfucker too, man. Just, he wins. Yeah. <laughs> he wins. <laughs> yep. Totally. You know what I mean? Like he, but you know, but that's the thing. Marky Mark's character is so badly written. He doesn't want to win. Marky Mark just wants to go home. He doesn't really care about anyone. No. 
He just sees the ship. Oh, hey, I'm out of buddy. Here. <laughs> here, can you hold him? <laughs> I'm taking his car. Hundred <laughs> percent. And I guess we get that ending. And 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 sorry, John, you're going to get a spoiler, but um, we get the ending where you know Mark Wahlberg returns to Earth mm. to find out that it's an alternate Earth. Similar. Yeah, it's it's a weird Earth. So it's basically Earth, but humans um apes. Yeah. So. <sighs> I read, I was a little bit confused by it. So, um, one of the, I Ryan Airy from Screen Crush, and I looked at one of his ones and he was talking about explaining it. And so, each time people approach that purple thing, you either go way in the future or way in the past. Yeah, okay. So, remembering that um, so when that's the ship of, crashed, yep. it went way in the past on this planet, Ashlar, let's call it Ashlar. Yeah. Went way in the past. That's why when what's your name got to it, it was freaking huge. Uh, like it was rotted. You know what yep. I mean? Like it had been there for thousands of years. And so, and then when, um, and then when Marky Mark goes in it, he goes obviously way into the future of that show. Yep. So, it's meant to be that after they've left, they've kept on their civilization. Yep. To the point where they managed to get on the get on get to that ship and go into like a different ship or whatever, get into there and it goes back into humans past. And that's where they take over humanity. Yeah. Wow. Supposedly, supposedly that's one of the theories. So, so crazy, but essentially the, the ending is that Mark Wahlberg's ship crashes mm. on the steps of the Washington monument. Yeah. Washington monument. Yeah. Um, and police cars pull up to check out what's happening yeah. And out of all the police cars, steps apes in police uniforms. Yep. They draw their guns, freeze. And Mark Wahlberg turns around to view what would normally be the statue of Abraham Lincoln sitting there. But the face is that of Thane. Uh, Thane. And it says up there that for General Thane who gave his heart for the building of this nation or something yeah. like that. So, so it, it sort of says that the apes have won and taken on society. And... I would love to know where the sequel would have gone from there. Yeah, that would have been awesome. I think it would have gone time travely. Yeah, which try to go reset the time travel thing. I feel like I would quite happily watch a Tim Burton time travel movie. And let's just never give a fucking spaceship to Marky Mark. He oh. just can't land, and a monkey can. That's monkey right. can land, but he can't land. Land so gently, he can't land shit. It's funny too because I I I've forgotten about the almost biblical like messiah like yeah i forgot about simu simu um sort of comes about which ends up being the reveal is something again is one of those moments where you're like come on you know i think the reveal was what they think is simos or something CMOS, like yeah it ends up being like if they just wiped their hands over that wall once, the dust would have moved to say "caution live animals" or oh, something. Oh yeah, that's the name of the um, place, Carmila. Oh yes, yeah, that's caution live, yeah, animals, live animals yes. or something like that. And it's like, oh man, just little moments like that. Kalima, Kalima, Kalima that's caution, the, right, the Kalima. temple of Kalima. Yeah, um, which you know, you go far out there. They're apes, inquisitive by nature. Very touchy. Yeah. So they would have put their hands over everything. Again, and, like that door. Yeah. That and you see Simu. <laughs> like Simu's at the start. Yeah. He's the cranky one in the fucking cage. And um, 
And it looks like friggin' Tim Roth's character is a direct descendant of that Simu. Yes. Character. You know, like right at the start where Calamity Jane's with him. Yeah. You know, and she's basically, oh man, and she looks young. I was like, well, that's Calamity Jane. <laughs> yep. Oh man. Like, she's so amazing. From now. Deadwood. Yeah, Deadwood. Sorry, everybody from Deadwood. Um, yeah, and yeah, so, and they crash into the past. Yeah. It's 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 fascinating though, Craig, because again, there are these really heartfelt moments. Like, um, it, it's a terrible comparison, but we have a toddler at the moment. Uh, our little man's two and a half, yeah. and um, that you know, there was that scene where the the monkey's been thrown against the chimpanzee, the big battle, and Thane yes. has like absolutely go injured on this. Go on, let's be honest, going ape shit. Yep, totally. And so then the chimpanzee crawls its way into its little cage, cage area. And that scene, like, I don't know what they've done to that chimpanzee to make it look so broken. I know. I find it hard to believe that monkey could act so well. No, no. It's it's probably just frigging really deep in the, in costume. Oh, true. I didn't even just think about that. Just frigging running around, just frigging cradling in. that it. scene is like, oh, goodness me. I know. Like, I, those moments, and there are a few moments in the Planet of the Apes, like future movies, where you feel for the apes so much because yeah. they they bring a humanity to them in such a good way. But I think that's the smart part of it. They're the the most human of the humans. Yes, I love it. Great. Hey, can we take a moment and talk about Danny Elfman's score in this I film? I know, man. I know. Isn't this a departure for him? I know. Like at the start, you go, oh yeah, it's Danny Elfman. But then that's the last. Once you hear, those drums that, kick into it, that's the last you hear of like the old school. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Loved it. He really. He, but he'd been on this for a long time. That's exactly right. A long time. Very percussion based score, mm. and and rhythmically, it's very um, it's very African. Yeah. I hear it and I think Black Panther. It's very I mean, jungleish. Yeah, it is, isn't it? And and in that, I'm just like, wow, like. Again, Danny Elfman is a great composer. Of course. There's no doubts about that. the best, yeah. Uh, but this is one of those scores that if someone was to say to me, give me one score from Danny Elfman that I would be surprised at, that I probably would hear and not think it's Danny yeah. Elfman. This is like one of those scores where you go, far out. Elfman is like... Really jumped. Oh, hasn't he? Yeah, but like, it's. I don't know if it's Danny Elfman... Jumping away too much, or Danny Elfman just jumping away from his Burton way. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, I think if we go to other Danny Elfman non-Burton films, you'll yep. probably see more of this. Yeah, it just true. doesn't have that whimsical Burton feel through it. Which you know, like we said, it might have already a lot of it might have already been written. Yeah, that's true. You know, that's before very true, before it already came in because he was what from what you gathered, he was on the, this movie. For, before Schwarzenegger yeah, was. Yeah, 10-year journey. Yeah. To have and so he would have been writing this for years. Yeah, you're right, Craig. You're mm. very right. Oh, man, I just really, this score, I loved. It really is something exciting. I'll pop it on our little Spotify playlist if people want to check Boom. that out. Uh, but it's so great. So, Craig, I'd love to know, um, overall, on our little journey of yeah. Tim Burton... Basically, people have come to you and said, hey, Craig, you're nearly 10 films into Tim Burton's yeah. journey. You're on the, you've got over the peak of the halfway point. You're on the back end now. What 
do you how do you feel about this film? Man, conflicted. Yeah. Like that's the best way to put it. There are some scenes that I am totally in awe of what Burton put on screen. Yeah. And what the actors put on screen. Yeah. There are some scenes where I'm like, this looks like a Pee Wee Herman film. You know what I mean? Like some of these scenes where I'm like, this, I just fucking, I can't stand this scene. Yeah. This is just too stupid for me. It's too <laughs> stupid. Not but like, but, and I say this from a, a, a way of, a place of, you know, love because Burton always puts it at a high standard. Yes. Now there are scenes here that if there are so many of them that I would almost go, I hate this movie more than Ed Wood. Yeah, wow. You know, and I and you I did and not Ed Wood like No, 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 but uh, Ed Wood <laughs> Ed Wood is done at a high standard. Yes. You know, you know what I mean? Like standards-wise at a high standard. Ed Wood is a, in my eyes is technically, you know, on better film. Yep. Like, you know, there's this there's there's it's more flow. It's, you know, it's it's more understandable than this film. Yep. Breakdown of some scenes versus scenes and acting, man, this blows a lot of fucking movies out of water. Yes. This seriously, this this blows seriously. There, there's this is the best villain, and, and you ever people are gonna fucking hate me for this. This is the best villain in a Burton film. Hundred percent. And that's going against Nicholson. Yeah. That's going against fucking. That's going against Devito. Yeah. You know what I mean? And man, I and I'll I'll say that with fucking confidence. And it's hard to put these two together and say, well, did I like this movie? Difficult to reconcile those things. I can't, man. It's it's really hard. It is really hard. I'd love to know, Craig, uh, in this, because we will get to ranking in a minute, but it's so interesting that we get to a point, because you would say that at his best, Tim Burton is a world-class director. Oh, yes. I Look, I, I think Burton at his best, Worst is a world-class director. At his best, he's one of the greatest ever lived. Yeah, and, well, it's true, isn't it? Because you would be able to show, if you showed the scenes of Tim Roth doing mm. his thing, yeah. that incredible scene of Charlton Heston when he passes yeah, and Tim Roth at the bed yep. and his response, like that response of him lifting his hand and letting it drop, like this almost animalistic response yeah. of... Is he really dead? You know, like that scene plays out so darn strong, like so strong. And even to an extent, the battle scenes in this where the monkeys are coming up against, you know, when the apes are coming against the humans. It's such a unique way of throwing into battle. Isn't it? Well, you've you've seen it since. Yeah. You know, it, it, you have to admit that this inspires some of the battle sequences in Endgame. Yeah. Where the first characters are the ones who get down and crawl and run. Yeah. You know what I mean? And totally. you have to go, yeah, that's Burton. It's such a fascinating film because it is, in its great moments, this film is super solid <laughs> and so enjoyable. You just wish you had time. Yeah. And this it all comes down to time and money, which makes our... our Ranking really difficult. Oh, it means ranking sucks, man. Yes. So I'm going to run through the rankings at the moment. Craig at one has Sleepy Hollow, two Batman Returns, three Edward Scissorhands, four Batman, five Mars Attacks, six Beetlejuice, seven Edward, and eight Pee Wee's Big Adventure. I would love to know what you're thinking here, Craig. 
Oh, man. Oh, I don't know. I know. It's so fucking... It's so hard, man. It's so hard because I look... Oh, man. It's, Do you want me to give you a moment? Yeah, give me a moment. You so go, I'll go you through go. mine at the moment. I've got it. Number one, Ed Wood. Number two, Batman Returns. Three, Sleepy Hollow. Four, Edward Scissorhands. Five, Mars Attacks. Six, Batman. Seven, Beetlejuice. And eight, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Uh, for me, Craig, I have thought a little bit about this this week mm. and realized, you know, like you said before, Ed Wood is actually number one on my yes. list at the moment, which means for me it was technically the most accomplished Tim Burton film we'd watched. Uh, Sleepy Hollow was pretty darn close, but I love Batman Returns. The problem is the moments I love in Planet of the Apes, I love so much that I can almost forgive the bad in it. I know. Which is why it's That's such a good, like a film that I nostalgically love. I know. That's why standalone you can, but going through his filmography, ranking and our filmography, you're like, I know he can. I know he, he does better. And it's so fascinating because, you know, we're almost at the Tarantino 10 film mark. Yeah. You know, we're Tarantino. Tarantino plays. 10. No one can make good films after 10 movies. Mm. And at this point, we're seeing for the first time what happens when Burton is rushing. Yes. Okay. He has pulled some films out pretty quickly in the past. Oh, and yeah. And been exactly. successful. But, but not a planet of the apes. That's exactly right. So for me, Craig, I, I thought about this. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to put this at, uh, I think it's number seven. So that means that I'm going to put it under Batman, above Beetlejuice. Mm -hmm. And the reason I'm doing that, it's quite low in my list, is because... The parts that I loved would happily have this up in the top three. Yeah. You know, Tim Roth, Giamatti, Michael Clark Duncan, you know, they would all have it up in those top ranks. But what it does fail in is a lead actor who would run this film great. Who would, who imagine, would actually show strength? Like, imagine Matt Damon. Imagine... DiCaprio. Imagine Tom Cruise. Oh, Tom Cruise that, would that, be perfect. That running after the kids scene, that would have made a lot more sense. Yes. Who can outrun fucking Tom Cruise? No. That no was his running body. scene. That's that. That's the scene he wrote into the script. That's what I reckon. <laughs> and, they kept that, and they've just kept that one in there. I fucking hate that kid. I don't even know his name. Oh, but why you suddenly became important was because half hours cut out of the script. A hundred percent. Um... Where do we? Where so do where we? do I put it? I yeah. put it. I put it um, above Beetlejuice. Above Beetlejuice. Oh, that's a good one, Craig. Okay, cool. So, so you're going, I'll have Beetlejuice, Mars Attacks, Planet of the Apes, Beetlejuice, Edward, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Yeah, that is very good, Craig. I like that one. That's about six midway. I'd give that. I agree with that, Craig. I can live with that. Um, really fascinating because Planet of the Apes is this film. Fascinating. That I, think, I think we'll we'll still talk about it at the end of the season. It's a, it's it's a step up in his skill work. Oh, definitely. It's so strangely just a fucking just a step down. It, I think it, I think it's a step up in his skill work, a step down in post work. And again, time is time. Of the essence. In yeah, that, exactly. Isn't it? So. Can I Look, ask let's a, be honest. Let's 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 lay it down flat. It was foxed. 
it was definitely a studio had become involved to a point where this film no longer worked like it, it should. It was Fox. I really want to ask a question about the Mark Wahlberg, though, Craig. Yep. Can I ask, do you think, like we heard that a lot of people complained that the writing was at fault here? No. Look, I think that's a hard thing to do. Okay, so writing can be simple. Yep. Um, and as always, it's a tool. So if we're talking dialogue, you know, like I guess, yes, there's sloppy plot, like plot and, and actual writing in that regard, like him running past the guards, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, talking to each other may sound stupid, but in the, in another actor's hands, it's the most amazing line in the world. Yeah, it's true. You know what I mean? Like, you know, if you think of, you know, let's say, because I, I was looking, you know, let's talk about... Anthony Hopkins um, with any Hannibal Lecter line. Yeah. Any Hannibal Lecter line. You know, I think I'll eat your heart first or, or forget, I'm ready when you are such a memory. You know, and shit like that. You know, having an old friend for dinner. Anyone else saying that, it sounds stupid. It's it's, it's almost true. like an Arnold Schwarzenegger line. Having an old friend for dinner. <laughs> you know what true. I mean? The it's ice true, man Craig. cometh. But because he says it, and the way he says it, because he, he's an actor and that's what his job is, he can make it into something more that's than that. That's true. That's true. Marky Mark, too young. That's what I'm calling him Marky Mark. He's not Mark Wahlberg in this. He's Marky Mark. <laughs> I would have loved... And those little funky bunch of white people, the freaking group around him. I would have loved to have had Affleck in this role. Because I think he's just got a little oh, bit... Not at this stage, man. This you is don't his, This is his matinee idol stage. I think his head was too far in his ass. He would have been... He was Benefer at this time, I think. Oh, that's true. You know what I mean? Like Early this is 2000s. Where just, you know, he was just um, Benny on the block. Benny on the block. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, Craig. You know what I mean? I, I don't think... Damon? Easily. Yeah. Damon. In a heartbeat. Obviously, DiCaprio, in a heartbeat. But he would have been almost fish, fish out of water in a way because I just... He, I could see why he, he was didn't. still looking very young at that point. He still was looking, but there's no problem with that. You know what I mean? Like he's got to be a scientist. Yeah, but like there's a there's a way where you could have rescripted it. You know, it's funny when you're talking about Chris Columbus and all that. Yeah, and you're talking about, you know, and imagine it. Imagine doing that whole film with a Macaulay Culkin type. You know, like let's say Haley Joel Osment yep. type esque. Yeah, kid getting caught on a planet of the apes. Well, it would have removed. Probably what would have happened is you would have had a hero from the tribe. Yeah. Chris Christopherson. Yeah. Who plays a father-like role. Yeah, exactly. And a kid who just because of his future knowledge is able to understand how to defeat. Yeah. You know what cool. I mean? And it would have been I'm on board. dark as shit. Yeah, I'm on board. You know? Um, so that could have been done. So, you know, you could have just tweaked it. It's true. You could have tweaked it easily. It's true. Ah, it's such a shame. So many it is. That's where it, that's here, the, isn't I it? guess that's a perfect summary of the movie. That's a shame. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what There's I mean? our pull quote. Yeah, that's our pull quote. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's a shame. That's a shame. FFTL podcast. Yeah, exactly. Um, speaking hashtag. of FFTL podcasts and hashtags, Craig, where yeah. can people find us? Man, go on to Twitter. Go on to um, Instagram at FFTL podcast. Uh, go on to from first to last podcast on Facebook. We've got a little group of there. Get we out do. there, you know. We love to talk. Yeah, talk, chat, leave a comment. Um, 
If not, you want to be more direct, email us at info at fftlpodcast.com or go to our website, www.fftlpodcast.com. Love it. As we say every week, like, like, subscribe, share us with a buddy. Yeah. Give us a review. If you want to chuck five stars up there, it helps people find us. Yeah, it's exactly. really important. Exactly. Uh, but we want you to hear us as we're dropping information. Uh, there's lots to come, so don't worry. We've got a big one next week. I'm really excited. But before we do that, maybe feel like a cup of coffee. Yeah. Go check out friends at gleecoffee.com.au. Oh, yes. Get Use the, the code on. FFTL. 15% off. At the checkout? At the store. You can get all sorts of things. Shirts, hats. Bust it out. 15% is awesome if you go big. Yeah. They're, listen, their coffee is really good. <laughs> so yeah, so get it. on it. We just don't we don't throw it out there because they, they give us some sweet coffee. Sweet. But it's genuinely good coffee. Sweet so check coffee. it out. And if you're in an international listener and you want to try a bit, get on there. Hit them up on socials and, and say, oi. Where can we get some of this exactly. sweet golden bean so winning FFTL coffee? FFTL said you guys are good. 100%. Show me how good are you. <laughs> so good. And then they can send us more free shit. Speaking of good, Craig, do you know what we're going to talk next week? No, I don't. You know or I never next do. next episode, I should say, not next week. Uh, next episode, we get are having the next episode. our yeah. friend Ewan McGregor is joining us. Woo! Is it Brian Cox? Who's his dad? No, no, his dad is Albert Finney. Albert Finney. Walk weird every day. Ewan McGregor, Albert Finney. This we is are gonna this was one of my favorite movies when the first time I watched it. I haven't I'm watched sorry. it yet, so I am pumped. I'm so excited for I it. I pumped. can just remember my only rem- memory at this moment is the popcorn scene, <sighs> uh, which is very magical. I I feel like Billy Crudup. Billy Crudup. Oh, I love him. He's one of the most underrated actors ever. He is. He certainly is, Craig. So next episode, we will be talking Big Fish. Just going. I'm really excited for it. Uh, it's been so long, Craig. So that's the next episode. Yeah. We've had a great chat around Planet of the Apes. I'm so yeah. glad this film man. was such a fascinating conversation. Fascinating, man. I hope you guys have liked it as well. Balls to the wall. So... From all of us here at From First to Last Podcast. I'm Jeff Reed. I'm Craig Killian. We'll catch you next episode.